You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. It's time to slip into our dinner jackets and grab a martini, shaken, not stirred, and take a look at No Time to Die, the 25th James Bond film, and the last one with Daniel Craig. So it is bittersweet in some ways. It was really interesting to sit through the longest James Bond film ever. And it was just a lot of very, you know, interesting times. And we got a new movie and we went to the movies and it was just, it was just awesome. Okay. I just had to say it that way. I'm going to be very curious to hear what other folks have to say, but we'll be doing that in a bit. But this man has his own code name, but for tonight we will just call him Mr. Mike Gordon. Howdy. How are you, sir? I am peachy. Very peachy. Sorry, it good. didn't really work as well as I kind of hoped it might. So it, it sounded like a good <laughs> attempt, and you know that's not so so bad. And it was a lot of you know attempt at some Bond humor, and it was it was neat to watch this one. It was weird as hell being back in the movie theaters. I've had you know only seen one movie in a year and a half in the theaters, and that was when we went to see Shang Chi. So this was just just as interesting. Yeah, me as well. I this is only the second time I've been back in the theater, and uh, yeah, I mean it's still kind of weird. Oh yeah, it's. Good I guess to take it's it. getting less weird, but I don't know if that's a good thing or not. But you know, well, it'll be very interesting to see, and you know what others have thought about it, and the the numbers have been amazing for this. So you know, I'm going to be very curious to talk about it. So it should be kind of cool. And, you know, can't wait to talk to you guys and hearing what you guys thought. So please write us feedback at earthstation1.com. Always good to hear from you guys. And it's always nice to, you know, talk about a new movie. And, you know, as we like to say also, you know, if you get a chance and listen to the show, please subscribe. And wherever you subscribe to, please leave us five stars. It counts a lot more than you actually even think. And, you know, give us thumbs up on some sites or, you know, whatever you have to do. Please just give us five stars. We'd really appreciate it. Also, you know, we want to do a big shout out to our patrons. We don't talk about the ESO patrons enough on the show. And we have to thank you. We have to thank you. So, so much for everyone who has been donating, who has been subscribing. We have some subscribers who have been with us since the very beginning, and we have to thank you guys so, so much. And you, too, can also help support the ESO Network for as little as a dollar a month. That's not too bad. And you get exclusive material, uh, exclusive to the ESO patrons, and, you know, you also sometimes get some ESO swag. You know, depending what level you subscribe at, you can get ESO window stickers. You can get geek seat magnets. Hell, you can actually be in the geek seat. Or if you, you know, go up to the highest level, you could actually co-host one of the shows. Not too bad. I think it'll be a lot of fun for you guys out there and to everyone who already has been. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We do appreciate you. Mr. Pa- Mr. and Mrs. Patron of the world, because we have patrons from around the world, actually. It's pretty awesome. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO Network. 
And speaking of friends of the show, let's talk to our friends over at Tifosi Optical. Tifosi Optical has amazing glasses, sunglasses, gamer glasses, blue light blocking glasses. Judy actually had to get a new pair of glasses. And, you know, of course, I told her about the blue light blocking. It's a great thing to do because, you know, it helps keep your eyes not less tired, especially if you're sitting in front of a computer or a TV all day. And it really helps. So you also have, of course, you have uh, activity goggles, you know, for like biking and for playing sports and stuff. I don't do either. So I don't know what kind of goggles those actually are, but I've heard about those type of things. So it's pretty cool. We also have, of course, safety shields for first responders out there right now. And, you know, whatever your needs are, Tifosi Optics has it. If you need any kind of like glasses, Talk to them. Talk to these fine folks. They have some great stuff. And if you have a prescription, they can take care of you too. Definitely check it out and go to tofosioptics.com. And then especially if you put in the coupon code Earth Station One, you've heard of those guys before. Earth Station One for the coupon code, you get 10% off your order. Pretty darn awesome. Check it out, tofosioptics.com. Boom. Here we come, walking down the street. So, Mike and I actually went to a concert this last weekend, and we actually got to see the Monkees. And as soon as I mentioned that we were going to talk about the Monkees tonight, Kevin from the Flopcast said, Hey, over here in the station, I need to be up on the show. You know, it's just like, he, it's like he's spying on us or something like you, that. You heard us scratching on the outside of the space station, and there I was floating in space in the vacuum, desperately... <laughs> Waving monkeys albums at you through the glass. <laughs> well, what, what convinced me was the monkeys lunchbox, you know, <laughs> and so I thought that was just it was just awesome. I thought this Mike Nesmith wool hat would protect me from the vacuum of space. But. <laughs> it protected everybody else from me, you know, <laughs> from so much in the sixties and seventies. Only works if your name is Mike. <laughs> yeah, it works for you guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, so now, Kevin, uh, on this tour of just Mickey and Michael, of course, uh, the, and it's the self-proclaimed um, final tour, farewell tour, yep. uh, farewell tour of uh, them, uh, the monkeys, as we know it. Um, have you got it? Has it toured up there yet? Have you, have you got a chance to see them yet? Not on this exact leg of the tour. We we saw them. We saw the the Mike and Mickey. Uh, tour uh, when they the version of it that happened a couple of years ago mm, pre pandemic uh, we we, yeah yeah exactly oh, was we that, actually went down to uh, Long Island New York was, to see them a couple of years ago wasn't that the tour where they had to cancel part of it because of Mike's health I think yes yeah because I yes. remember he had heart issues yeah in fact I think that Long Island show we went to had been rescheduled that that actually got postponed by several months until Mike was uh, back up and ready to go. And we actually do have tickets for the current version of the tour, though, because it's coming up this way to Massachusetts in a couple of weeks. So if all goes well, I will be seeing the same show that you guys just saw. It was it was an amazing, amazing show. Uh, I expected, you know, them to have an opening band. I expected them to, you know, just play an hour or so. No, not at all. These these guys, you know, they did the they didn't have an opening band. It was them right from the start. They did an intermission, and then they came back yeah. and did another hour afterwards. Yeah, they they 
they, the, the way that they arrange these sets for the last several tours has been so impressive in that they know what the fans want and they're going to play all the hits. They're going to play everything that people, you know, that they need to play. But also they go into some some deep cuts, some fan favorites. There's yeah. always some surprises. Mm-hmm. Every tour they pull out some obscurities that they've never done live before. So it's a really special show. Yeah, I had uh, I had got a chance to see the Monkees in 86 during their 20th yes. anniversary tour. <laughs> Uh, I saw them, uh, I don't know if we were at the same show there, but I, I saw them at the Worcester Centrum in November of 86. Okay. Uh, yeah. I saw them earlier that year in the summer. And then at, yeah. I saw them at one of those little in the round theaters <laughs> right. down in, down in Rhode Island. And that's they, when they had all the, all those other sixties bands were opening for them. Yeah. They had Herman Herbert's and the grassroots, yeah. uh, yeah. as well, so the, but they the were monkeys, the, they were the one that everybody cared about. I mean, they were, it was a hot tour. Uh, oh, absolutely. That's why by, by the time you saw them, they were playing arenas. I, I saw the first yeah, leg of the true. tour. That's true. They were playing little theaters of just a, a couple thousand people. And then eventually they were playing football stadiums by the time that's <laughs> that tour reached yeah, its finish. Yeah, you're absolutely were, right. Uh, I think it was around that. It was like half and half. They were playing, you know, they went from playing the Silverdome to playing the Centrum, you know. Uh, yeah. yep. um, and uh, and at that time, uh, due to scheduling issues, it was only uh, Mickey, uh, Davey and Peter. Um, right. so I didn't get a chance to see Mike. So, uh, when this opportunity came up, I was, I jumped on it because I was just like, I've never got a chance to see Mike perform yet. So, yeah. um, so that's that missing monkey piece, if you will. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was right yeah, in front uh, of me. I don't know how I missed it. <laughs> yeah. I got to see Mike Nesmith, I think in 84, 85 when he was touring on his own. And, nice. and it was awesome. I got to see him. It was at, I think he was at the Bayou in Georgetown and in, in Washington, DC. And it was an amazing, amazing show. Now, I, had you seen the other man, the rest of the monkeys before too? Nope. This no? is my first, so, this was the first my, time seeing any other monkey. Yeah. This is my other time. Wow. Wow. Other than Davy Jones at a mall, but you know, that's a little, <laughs> that, counts. Yeah. that totally counts. Yeah, I yeah. wish I'd seen Davy Jones at a mall. I yeah. had, it wasn't uncommon. I think, I think he just like, <laughs> I think he just like to hang out in malls. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, and it was, it was after Davy died, which was almost 10 years ago now. Mm. That, and that, that's wow. when, um, yeah, it's been a long time. Cause I think it was 2012 yep. was when Mike came back on board and said, so, and, and agreed to start doing tours with them again. And at that time, I remember uh, uh, Felicity and I were so excited that Mike was touring with the Monkees, which he very rarely did over, over the right. years. And they announced just a small number of shows on that little tour. And we thought, this might be it. Mike Nesmith might decide, oh, that's right. I hate this <laughs> and never do it again. So he wasn't come. We're in, we're in Massachusetts. He was not coming any closer. That tour was not coming any closer than New York. Mm. And we actually drove, we road tripped out to Buffalo, New York to see the, the Mickey, uh, Peter, Mike version of the monkeys in 2012, just because we thought this might be the only chance we ever get to see Mike Nesmith play with the monkeys. Now then, as it turned out, he, he was in for the long haul at that point. And for the past almost decade, Mike has been part of, uh, several monkeys tours, not all of them, but, uh, but they've, they've performed, the three of them and now the two of them uh, with Mike, which has been fantastic for fans who, uh, you know, fans that came on board after the initial 60s run. Mm-hmm. Very few people have gotten to see 
the monkeys with Mike Nesmith. Yeah. I think most That's of why us, I jumped on this chance. Yeah. yeah I think yeah. most of us discovered the monkeys probably in syndication as we oh, were yeah. growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Youngsters like us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, exactly. we, to, we were not watching the original run of the 60s show. Yeah. For me, it was UHF channels showing monkeys reruns when I was a little kid in the 70s and, yeah. and just dig, digging their records out at, at yard sales. I, I'd pick up a monkeys album or two over the years so yeah yeah it was all in years before the mtv renaissance you know because then the, the kind of the next wave of kids after us really discovered them in the mid 80s when when mtv brought them back yeah that 20th anniversary um that was all mtv uh mtv showed uh, showed them like uh, constantly um and really propped them up and uh they they gave them new life they had a new single uh that was then this is now a new album yeah. that had well the album had like it was a compilation album but it had like three tracks on it and yep um but it was interesting because i was curious so and i my memory's awful so i actually looked online and of course there's so many uh devout monkeys fans i knew i wouldn't have a problem finding the set list for what they played at the centrum or on that tour and it's a very different set list than the one that we saw uh, last week that Mike and I saw. And part of it is because Mike was with them and they did some more Mike Nesmith center tracks and less, you know, Peter and Davy tracks. But sure. uh, I think people forget or don't realize they think that they're this, this TV band or whatever. Um, and this is why, you know, uh, you know, contention about them getting in the hall of fame because they're actually a very accomplished. I mean, they have, a lot of great songs, a lot of deep cuts, as you mentioned, and they're able to switch up so that half the songs they play from tour to tour, uh, of course, they play the hits, you know, the five or six, seven hits that they have that everybody knows. But then, then you know, they sprinkle in all these other songs that are just solid songs, but you, they don't get near the attention. Yeah, absolutely. So oh, exactly. yeah, each, each tour has really been special you know and i've I've seen my first concert was an 86 monkeys concert but i've seen several of these tours since Mm -hmm. then so it it was the the mickey davy peter tours and the the 50th anniversary tour which was just mickey and peter (laughs) and uh and several more combinations over the years it was pretty amazing too because you know recently mickey actually put out um songs all by mike nesmith Mm-hmm. Yes, and he actually did the Linda Ronstadt song that Mike Nesmith wrote. You're right, right, right. Different drum, different drum, and it was just like. And I love the story that they told. They, you know, they told about it because, you know, how you know Mike from the very beginning wanted to write his own music and write the music for the band, and the producers were like, "Oh no, 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 you won't. You know, that, your songs aren't that great. That's not no, that big. Your, those songs aren't monkey. Songs. Those aren't monkey songs. <laughs> and like, he, but I'm a monkey. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's it was funny as hell. And then he said, "Oh, but there's this young lady we met named Linda Ronstadt. You know, and so we gave her this song, and it became a monster hit." Yeah, and absolutely. so it was awesome. I mean these these four guys, young guys, early twenties, that were hired to do a TV show, and it's obviously they they auditioned hundreds of pe- hundreds of people for these roles. But the four guys they got, you, you can't imagine anybody else being one of the monkeys because of what a special combination it was, and four very different artists and performers, but very accomplished, very creative guys, all four of them. And so what they brought 
to this project was very special. And then here we are, you know, 55 years later and look at all they've accomplished over the years and, and the, the creativity that they brought to it. And that, yeah, it was a sitcom. It was a TV show in the, in the 60s, but now and with a bunch of albums. They cranked out the albums in the 60s into the early 70s. But then, yeah, since that 80s reunion, they did a new album in 87. They did a new album in 97, uh, just the four of them uh, writing and, and performing everything on it. And then the 50th anniversary year, 2016, they put out another completely new record uh, called Good Times, yep. which is one of their best records ever. Yeah. They played and, a, I mean, beyond, they, beyond that, they did. Um, mm-hmm. They put out a new Christmas record just a couple of years ago, right. which has some really, really special stuff on it. Mm-hmm. And now, yeah, now the new one is uh, Mickey Dolan singing Mike Nesmith. Yeah. There's also a live album that came out last year, a live version of the the Mickey and Mike tour. Yep. So it's so much new stuff has come out in just in recent years. Yep. I have it right in front of me, and I'm actually going to be ordering it from Amazon.com. <laughs> the, uh, but as uh, as Director Faber just uh, sort of said, um, they did play some tracks from uh, that most recent album on there too, and. Um, it is a very special evening. They're playing really good music. The backup band that they have, uh, oh. is amazing and tight, uh, is, is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and is able to, you know, uh, is versatile enough to play all their songs, uh, a lot of the different times. Cause there's, you know, a lot of different kind, a lot of the, their songs are very differently. You know, there's, they're orchestrated very differently. And, and the band doesn't seem to have any problem going from track to track. Um, and they tell stories about about being in the band and everything like that, as Mike alluded to. And it's a very special evening, uh, but it's a bit bittersweet. I will be honest with you. Um, it is not only because two of them are no longer with us, uh, but because it's also, you know, when most bands put out there, uh, yes, I'm talking about you, Eagles, and you, Kiss, um, that this is their farewell tour, their final tour, whatever, uh, you know, decades later, they're still out there, you know, trying to uh, get money from folks. Um, but it's pretty obvious that uh, um, this is going to be at least Mike's last last go um, uh, at this show. I will tell you at this show um, and at the show prior to that in Alabama, good friends of mine who went to that one. Um, there's you can tell Mike has some issues. Some health issues. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I've been following what people have been saying online throughout this leg of the tour. Yeah. And yeah, this has been, you know, Mike has been in the best of health at this point. No. But I also, I've also heard that he's been getting better and better as the tour rolls along. <laughs> well, been- I, I can only speak to what happened on Friday and what happened yep. the day before that. And exactly. uh, I, I, you know, it's still, look, I mean, he still went through the distance. Uh, pretty yeah. much. Uh, I mean, to be honest with you, and I'll just say it, um, he just walked off on the last song. Like he just mm-hmm. kind of like wandered off halfway. Yeah. Halfway through the song, the last song, he just like literally just moseyed off the stage. <laughs> he just, just wandered off. And, and, yeah, uh, yeah. and, and as, whereas the night, uh, a couple nights before in Alabama, he, he wouldn't leave after the whole band left. He was the only one left on stage. And, and so, uh, you know, there's a little bit going on there, but look, I mean, like I am not dismissing him in any way. Uh, I'm just saying for, for any, you know, anything else, if you have the urge to see them, see them because, you know, this might be your absolute last chance. I think now on the other hand, 
I think Mickey can go another 30 years. Oh, <laughs> like, gosh. Yeah. Yep. He's, he's in great shape, great voice, uh, <laughs> bouncing around the stage. Um, he, I, he is I, a true showman. He, he really, really is. is. You could tell he's the one that was born in the showbiz family. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So this this tour is very much it's the farewell tour, and it yeah. probably really is the farewell tour. Like Mike said, you know, a lot of bands like, oh yeah, sure, this is our farewell tour. Wink. And then three <laughs> years later, they're, they're back. This is probably as far as tours. There might be some one-off things here and there, depending on Mike's health uh, going forward. I wouldn't be surprised They've, if Mickey toured by himself after. This, oh yeah, but I'm this sure is he the will. last Monkeys tour. Yes, yes, it is. All the, you know, they've already announced. I wouldn't be surprised if M- Mickey shows up at Dragon Con again. Come on, uh, that, could be. that was that, could be. that was awesome. I do, I do have some special memories of of Mickey seeing Mickey at Dragon Con. Yep, I remember that ago. year. Yep, yeah, uh, they have already announced another Monkey show next year after this tour. Wow. So yeah, yeah. There, and this is Mickey and Mike. Uh, there's a Beach Boys cruise happening next year with a few uh, '60s bands, and the Monkees, both of them, are scheduled to perform on the cruise. On that cruise, yeah. So there might be, there, even though this is the final tour, there's at least one other Monkees show <laughs> currently scheduled <laughs> for next year. So you just never know. I know our friends Charles and Veronica from earth station trek are very big monkeys fans i also know alan seiler is also and they're actually talking about going on the monkey on the beach boys cruise because the monkeys are going to be there Mm. Uh i I would warn people about that that who knows and you know if if you book the beach boys cruise and the monkeys cancel yeah you're still still stuck with the the beach Beach boys cruise yeah you better you better you better hope you you like the the beach boys right i'm sure it'll still be a very fun cruise uh, with or without the monkeys but uh, i wouldn't recommend going if that's your only reason for going is uh is brian wilson on that tour i know we did no no No. he's he's touring he's he's on his own tour right now i mean on that that, uh, not the tour but is he on the 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 cruise cruise? no he will not be on that cruise no no No. he's doing his own thing you so, got a, a friend of mine just saw him uh, like last night i think so and and you know we've said this before and it's it's true of the monkeys and it's true of i think comic artists and anything like that like look if you get a chance and opportunity to see these people uh don't hesitate don't think uh, don't take it for granted that they're going to be around next year uh or that they're going to be around the next year after that the year after that because it, it, especially in this day and age uh we, as we've seen in the last year and a half, anything can happen. So, uh, you know, take the opportunity and do it. Like, it's just, you know, like, as the way I look at it, it's only money. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully I'll have this memory for a while, um, at least for a week until uh, my memory <laughs> banks don't run out. But, but I mean, there are, oppor- there are many folks, creative folks that I've, I've wished I had the opportunity to, to meet or see or hear. Uh, and, uh, it just never happened. So I'm glad, you know, as, as bumpy as this show might've been at times, uh, for the most part, it was really fun. Uh, it was great. The vibe was, the crowd was amazing. Um, and everybody was in good spirits and it was, Mm -hmm. it was, it was, there was nothing but love in that room. And, uh, and, and I, and I, I didn't, I'm glad I didn't miss that. No, it was amazing. We actually had gone to see two weeks before this, we went to go see Hall and Oates and I wish the crowd was as much into them as much as they were at the monkey show, because this show was just amazing. And the voices were better than Hollow Notes was Hollow Notes. You know, they're about the same age, actually. You couldn't tell by looking at them, but 
Um, Daryl Hall uh, turns 70. 75 yeah. this week. Exactly. I learned on my own podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Cornflake. <laughs> exactly. And Mickey Dolan's is 76 and Mike Nesmith yeah. is 78. And yeah. so, like Mike said, this is a chance to – probably some of your last chances to be able to see these folks, you know, and, you know, you don't want to take the chance when you hear the next day, so-and-so has passed away or, you know, had a stroke or something worse. And it's just, I don't, you know, want to miss out. And I am so for glad I finally got to so see the two of them together. And yeah. it, the energy was just amazing in this place. And everyone was singing along and it was, it was, it just felt like a really special evening. And that's what made it, that's what made it great. And that's what I always say about going to see live music on the show. Go see live music, folks. This, it, it's like nothing else. You know, you could listen to CDs, you could download, you know, stuff on MP3s or whatever, or stream it. It's still not the same. Even live recordings are not the same as being there. So, Absolutely. So the monkeys were just a blast. And thank you, thank you for coming to Atlanta so we could take the chance to see them. And I'm looking forward to hearing what Kevin has to say about it when they come. Okay. Yeah, when, when are you going to see that? Yeah, we, they are scheduled to come to Massachusetts. Uh, it's Halloween weekend. I think it's oh, the third. Oh. It's coming up pretty soon. Yeah, and it's an amazing tour. Yep, they're, doing like, weeks. they're doing like four dozen shows. It's, you know, yeah, it's a big tour. It's a very big yeah. tour. And they're playing pretty small, intimate places. I mean, I'm not like, not like dives or anything, but enough that there won't be a bad seat in the house. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're playing theaters. They're not, yep. they're not playing uh, the arena. Like the first time you saw right. them. Like. <laughs> so it's a very, it very, it makes it even more special in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I was actually shocked by some of the songs that they played. It was just like, Oh, this is cool. I didn't expect him to do this. I'd be curious. I should, we should talk to some of the, you know, and hear from like other folks if they do the same set every night or if they change it up at all. I think it's very close to the same set, but they do tweak it here and there as they move along. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause, and you know, cause it was done well and you know, I, I would go see them again. So, you know, so definitely thumbs up. Come on up to Massachusetts. They're coming. <laughs> That's right. Halloween That's right. in Massachusetts. What could go wrong? You know? Come on. Come, come to Salem. <laughs> yeah, stay away from Salem. Yeah. Stay away from Salem in October. <laughs> That's where all the crazies are. Well, awesome, Kevin. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Anytime you want to talk about the monkeys or, let's face it, anything else, I'm always happy to be here. That is awesome. Well, we are happy to have you, sir. Where can people find you real quick? <laughs> well, my podcast is called The Flopcast, and it's me and it's Cornflake, and we're just being goofy every single week right here on the ESO Network. Excellent. Excellent, sir. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And let's take a quick break, and we are going to be back, and we are going to be talking all about No Time to Die. Weren't they good to make me happy? I think I can make it alone. Oh, mercy, woman plays a song. You know, I'm listening I need you Hey, everybody. Michelle here with an iconic rock talk show moment. Got some news from around the music industry. Some new beginnings, an ending, and something kind of crazy. With the new beginnings, 17 years 
after their last album of new music, Tears for Fears are set to release a new album called The Tipping Point on February 25th. And the first single is also called The Tipping Point. It is out right now. Oddly, this is the first time since they were teenagers that Kurt and Roland sat down in a room together and wrote songs on acoustic guitar. So we'll see if we can uh, tell the difference in the new music in February. And also, a new single is coming from Adele. It's called Easy On Me. And the album, which everybody expects to be called 30, should be out very, very soon. We're all still waiting to hear for sure. And in endings, it's the end of an era. Diamond David Lee Roth is hanging it up. He told um, the Las Vegas Review Journal in a phone interview, this is the first and only announcement. I am throwing in the shoes. I'm retiring. So sad days indeed. He has five more shows at the House of Blues Mandalay Bay in Vegas. Um, everything wraps up on January 8th. And... I know that you look to me for the, the hard-hitting, important news from the music industry, so I saved the the most crucial story for last, and that is that my girl Shakira was walking in Barcelona a, a couple of weeks ago with her son in a public park and uh, was attacked. Uh, a pair of attackers made off with her purse and ran off into the woods, but luckily um, she's okay. Shakira and her son are okay. Um, it is not likely that these attackers are going to be brought up in court because they're pigs. They're wild boars. And apparently in Spain, including major cities like Barcelona, wild boars are a thing. In 2016, Spanish police got almost 1,200 emergency calls about wild hogs uh, Attacking cat feeders, attacking dogs, running into cars, holding up traffic. So, yeah, it's a, it's a thing. Bear that in mind if you travel in, in Europe. This has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show Moment. We will catch you next time. Okay, promo for the Flopcast. Let's go. First, I need an adjective. Uh, naked. Need a noun. Wombat. Place. Woonsocket, Rhode Island. Number. Uh, 251. Okay, then. The Flopcast is a naked podcast about cartoons, music, comics, movies, and wombats. Find us on the ESO Network and Flopcast.net. Go ahead and listen to it in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. <laughs> 251 times. Bond, any thug can kill. I have to know I can trust you. Well, I understand double O's have a very short life expectancy. You are a kite dancing in a hurricane, Mr. Bond. Is this really what you want? Always alone? to be able to get into a room with the enemy. And now they're just floating in the ether. When her secret finds its way out, it'll be the death of you. Oh my God. Target enough people. 
number of people become the weapon. Who is he? James, you don't know what this is? James Bond, licensed killer, in love with Madeline Swan. I could be speaking to my own reflection. Only your skills die with your body. And life is all about leaving something behind, isn't it? Come on, Bond. Where the hell are you? left to save. I have to finish this. You have a flow like this? No. Welcome back to Earth Station One. It is now time to come out of retirement. Dust off our suits, get our Walter PPKs ready, and, you know, the Aston Martins, zoom them up. Let's take it away. No time to die. Mr. Mike. Yeah, we are talking about the 25th film in the official Eon Production James Bond series, and uh, the last uh, featuring Daniel Craig and um, the final one for him. We're going to spoil this one, folks. I was just about to say, I was just about to say, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're going to spoil this. So if you have gotten to this point and you have not watched it yet, uh, please watch it and uh, then come back to s- uh, hear us talk about all about it. And we've got our movie crew and another uh, folks to join us. Uh, we've got, of course, you know, Ashley, I think I'm going to make you the head of the ESO movie crew. Well, <laughs> hey, there we go. You, you just got a promotion. You, you got a com- promotion to commander. How is that? Hey, nice. I'm, I'm assuming <laughs> that comes with a sweet raise as well. Oh, yeah. I will it'll triple be, your pay. <laughs> Whoa. Woo! I was just going to say double, but triple. Okay. Uh, double. All right. All right. I'm feeling um, generous tonight. What can I say? <laughs> it's those martinis we, I drink before the show. <laughs> we've also got uh, two good friends of the show. First of all, Alan J. Porter is here. Thank you for having me back, guys. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you have not – have you got a chance to review this on the, your own podcast yet, on Magic's Secret Podcast? I'm actually the only member of the network that hasn't actually done a review podcast of it yet. Everybody else has. But, really? Uh, so really? You, you guys are getting are the first to get my thoughts. Wait, 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 wait. How You mean Vans re- reviewed it first? Vans did a quick 15-minute review, and the Rogue Agents have done a quick 15-minute review. Yeah. Oh, so, interesting. I have yeah. not heard their, their thoughts on it yet. I'm eager to hear their thoughts as well. And uh, we also have Matthew Kressel with us. Matthew, Hello, is this, this isn't your first time on the main Air Station One show, is it? Uh, no, I think I've been on here once or twice. Okay. Yeah, I think right. he was when we used to do Doctor Who reviews on this show. Ah, <laughs> uh, maybe that's the case. Uh, but in any case, welcome. Uh, you are all welcome. I am eager to hear your thoughts. Uh, usually we are joined, of course, by Alex Autry, who gives us a box office, the box office numbers. Uh, but since he is not here, uh, we can talk about them. Uh, they're not good, people. 
<laughs> this uh, this movie uh, opened to about 56 million in the United States and Canada, so North America, um, 257 million in other countries, so a worldwide of 313. Uh, James Bond movies always do about, I think, 23% of the, the gross is always the United States. And, and uh, so I guess it's on par with that. But, uh, with a, with a promotional cost and production cost of at least $350 million, uh, this movie needs to like really like make some money. And, uh, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of reasons that people are already pointing fingers at as far as to why this movie didn't do that well this week. Uh, the length of the movie, it's two hours and 40 minutes. Uh, of course, the pandemic. Uh, it's not a Marvel movie. <laughs> like, there's, there's so, uh, what do you guys think about that? Ashley, we'll start with you. What do you think of, uh, the box office numbers and is that telling? Because the last two James Bond movies have been huge. The two of the biggest Bond ever as far as box office money goes. Yeah, just my gut feeling is that it has a lot to do with the pandemic. I think that COVID has shifted people's, um, habits of media consumption in ways that we're still figuring out with how much streaming has changed. And the fact that uh, Marvel movies are, like you said, seem to be the only ones doing really big money in the box office. But even those I think are a little bit down than like Shang-Chi did amazing, but just imagine what that would have done in a non-pandemic time. So I'd be curious to see what this movie does when it comes to streaming. I think we're just, we're really in unprecedented times and we may not know for several years to come, how much people's movie going habits have changed or we'll go back to normal. I think it's all still kind of up in the air. So I think the fact that it did what it did in the midst of a pandemic is, is better than I had feared actually. Hmm. Interesting. Cause even those that are not directly with inside the MCU case in point venom, which opened a little, uh, a couple of weeks ago that did, much better almost i wouldn't say twice as much but we'll say like at least a third as much as no time to die uh and i don't i i don't think it was just the marvel connection uh one thing that i saw said that the overall uh north american uh audience was made up of about like um 23 percent of them were between the ages of i think it was uh, 15 and and 30 Whereas uh, with uh, Venom, it was that number, that same age group was like 60%. Hmm, interesting. So I, I, think, I think, to your point, I think young people, younger people are more comfortable going to the theater. But they don't, they don't maybe just don't care about James Bond as much. I don't know. Have we gotten, Alan, have we gotten to a point where um, Daniel Craig is the old man's Bond? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, I think tradition over the last... 15, 16 years, which just happens to be the Daniel Craig thing. It, the demographic has definitely switched to an older audience. Um, um, so I think that that's part of it. And that demographic is slower in going back to the theatre. So I think that was an impact, mm-hmm. um, definitely. Um, I'm going to get on one of my early soapboxes really early, but the, the guys at Eon, you know, during the Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan era, they were turning out video games, like every year, Bond video games. GoldenEye video game brought so many young people to the franchise. Yeah. 
You're and right. About 15 years ago, they just put the brakes on it and they stopped doing any video games or anything else. And it was like, we're just going to do the tempo movies at an increasing gap. So, you know, a six year gap between movies. The fact that this was clearly a follow on from the previous one six years ago, really, you expect me to remember everything that happened in a movie I saw, saw six years ago. Um, you know, this, a lot of the younger things they've heard of Bond, but they don't know who Bond necessarily is anymore, mm-hmm. um, is not in the popular culture um, time frame of mind as much as it used to be, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, the collectibles have gone to the high-end Bond fan collectible market. You don't get the toys. You, you know, we're starting to see a bit more of that. So I, I think they lost a lot of the audience along the way over the last 10, 15 years. Um, um I, I think we've seen some of that reflection in his box office numbers. I, I've heard people say it's bad, but I don't think it is bad because they are actually pro- they were projecting a 60, 60 million opening weekend and they got 55. Mm-hmm. So they're not that far off the mark. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, it just looks bad when you compare it to Venom. And, and when you compare the quality of the two movies, that I, that leaves me scratching my head. And, and the budget of the two And the budget of the two movies, that means yeah. This, this cost, uh, No Time to Die cost twice as much yeah. as Venom did. Yeah. Uh, even though there's... Uh, probably less CG, maybe. I don't know. It's oh, yeah, there's a lot less CG, but you can it's, tell it's, every dollar's on the screen, though. Oh, yeah, yeah but yeah. you also had to, you know, take into account all the medical bills they had for Daniel Craig in this one. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's so, true. yeah, I think it's a combination of factors. I think it's a combination of them gradually losing the audience, the younger end of the audience over the years, the pandemic, um, and the fact that, you know, this is a, there was a six year gap. You've lost, I think you, you lost a lot of people's attention. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything more to add on that, Matthew? Not really. I think Alan actually hit upon a lot of the stuff I, uh, I was thinking about and particularly, um, I think it's the mi6.co.uk, which is the internet's biggest bond site actually did a, a whole tweet thing going on about the younger audience not being there. And it's true. There hasn't been a major bond video game in like 10 years, almost. I think 007 legends in 2012, which was a horrible game by all accounts, <laughs> um, was the last major one. And I know that there was, I think it was world of espionage, which was the mobile game, which was apparently not any good either um i think it, you know the talking about you know marvel you know also brings out what a movie every eight nine months and you know i think bond is just having a hard time competing with that uh bill caning of the spy command has often said that eon still acts like is indeed a lot of a large part of the bond fandom still acts like that james bond is the biggest thing in the media landscape and that it will sell itself and i you know perhaps we've learned that that's not quite the case um, it would have been interesting to see what this movie would have done in November 2019, what it was supposed to have come out originally. Yeah, or if it had come out earlier and they had allowed it to be streamed somewhere. Yeah, um, I I think that Eon's insistence, because, you know, we, we've all heard the story that last fall, you know, MGM was, death, was in the middle of a bidding war with, I think it was Apple and Amazon and Netflix, yeah. all wanting the streaming rights to this movie. And it was Eon that put their foot down and said, no, this is going to be a cinema-only release. And, you know, I hate to say it as a, as, a, as a Bond fan since age 13, but I think it's come back to bite them on the butt. Well, this is not so. the first time things like that have bite them in the butt either. No, no. Yeah. Um, and I was really puzzled as to why they made that decision until I saw the movie. And particularly, yeah. and I know we'll get into it, but particularly the end, after watching it, I was like, well, I know why they wanted us to see this in the theater now. Oh, uh, yeah. Because... Uh, because that the way that this movie ends, uh, it's like it really is an end of an er- like all sorts of eras. Uh, yeah. Oh, very much uh, so. But, but this movie was so cinema- cinematic yeah. and everything. Yeah. yeah, I was, was going to say, I, 
Yeah, I saw it on last Wednesday night at the IMAX preview, and mm-hmm. I have to say, it it looks spectacular in IMAX. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's clearly a film that was designed to be seen that way. So, you know, I can see from at least the artistic point of view why they may have made that decision. From a business point of view, you know, it's come back to bite them, I think. All right, so let's get into it. Uh, Ashley, what were your thoughts going into this movie? And uh, what were your overall thoughts coming out? Yeah, so it feels like we've been waiting a long time to see this movie when you consider how many times it is postponed. So as I was walking into the theater, it's like, okay, this is a real movie. I'm really here to see it. This is finally the real deal. But I was really looking forward to this one. Um, Daniel Craig is kind of my Bond. Like, he's the Bond actor that brought me into the franchise and got me interested in the character. Casino Royale is one of my all-time favorite films on my top list. So I was really looking forward to this movie. I had heard that it was Daniel Craig's um, last outing as Bond. But it didn't actually occur to me until I walked into the theater that they might actually kill Bond at the end of this. I thought, there's no way they're going to do that. Like, you don't kill James Bond at the end of a movie. So it was a bigger emotional experience than I was prepared for. But one of the things I really liked about this movie is that it has a lot of those classic Bond elements with the gadgets, the cool locations, traveling across the world. But it had a lot more, like, character moments and emotional depth than... I was expecting. So I, I really enjoyed the way they rounded out the story, even though it was sad. And then I think it's a good way to give them a clean slate wherever they take the franchise from here. There's so many ways they can recast James Bond. I was very excited that they introduced the concept that 007 is not necessarily always James Bond. It is a title so that you could have other people, such as I know there's been a lot of discussion about whether or not there should be a female Bond, but the fact that you can bring other characters into this franchise. So I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a good, satisfying ending, but um, I'm also looking forward to seeing what they may do next. Oh yeah, well we'll we'll try to speculate on what happens next, but because uh, yeah, there's a lot of questions about that, but. Uh, um, uh, Alan, what about you? What were your thoughts going in? Now, I know from listening to your podcast, you are not the biggest fan of this era. <laughs> that, is, that is somewhat of an understatement. Yeah. Um, Daniel's Craig, Daniel Craig's Bond is not my, don't get me wrong. I love Daniel Craig as an actor. I just think, um, I, the Daniel Craig Bond movies are not my Bond movies. I'm a traditionalist. I like the standalone. Here's an assignment. Go save the world. Look cool in a tuxedo. Adventures. I want fun adventures from James Bond. Um, having said that, Casino Royale is my second favorite Bond movie of all time. I love Casino Royale. I think it's great. I just don't like what they did with the franchise after that. I certainly don't like the idea of the connected story arc. So for me, the Daniel Craig movies are an alternate universe Bond, if you like. <laughs> um, it's a multiverse Bond. It's not the same guy as all the other movies. And, and they did that when they rebooted it. They made that pretty clear. This is a completely yes, different character. That's true. So I, I look at them as a sort of an alternate universe Bond. Um, having said that, I went into this trying to stay neutral, trying to think about the fact that we haven't had a Bond movie for six years. I did get excited when I you know, bought my tickets. Um, you know, when the white dots came up on the screen, I was like, yes, this is real. There's, there's something about happening. that that just brings you, like, gives you goosebumps. Yeah. It's like, it's, yeah, it's goosebumps like, and I'm like, yeah. excitement, I'm here, I'm here for the ride. Um, and um, 
I thought it was a really good way for Craig's tenure to to wrap up. Um, it's not a perfect movie, uh, but I think it's the second best of his movies um, behind Casino Royale. Um, it's it's unique. It was bold. It was brave. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was a beautiful movie. Um, I think it's going to be a standalone thing. It's I don't think it's a good example of Bond. I think if somebody was coming into this and this was the first Bond movie they saw, they would be completely confused as to who this character is and what he's, what he's about. Um, but as a conclusion of that five-movie uh, story arc, yeah, I think it worked really well. I think it was a beautifully made thing, movie. And actually, I came out... One of the things I came out in Van... Uh, we are talking about Van Allen Plexico earlier. One of the things that he said, and he put it into words, and I knew I was feeling it when I came out. I came out angry. Because if they could do such a great movie to start uh, Craig's tenure and such a great movie to end his tenure, what the hell happened with the three in the middle? (laughs) All right? Um, Because they had what happened in that mix because they clearly got... It's the same writers. Yeah, in most part. Yeah, a lot of the same In most part, yeah. Um, And the same producers. So, and largely the same cast. So, Mm -hmm. you know... Was it all the directors? I don't know. But what the heck happened to the three in the middle? I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I, I came out feeling I enjoyed it. Um, we immediately came home and booked tickets to see it again the next day. Oh, wow. Um, That's so something I, I, right there. You know? Yeah. So, you know, I, I've seen it twice. Um, I actually enjoyed it more the second time around because the first time around I was watching it thinking about what am I going to say on the podcast? <laughs> what am I going to write about? Taking oh, notes. Spot, spotting all the references, as many as the references as I could. You know, uh, my wife and I are nudging each other like, oh, oh, look, you know, there's, there's <laughs> a, you know, there's a reference to this and there's a reference to that. Um, so second time around I saw it, I just really just let let myself escape into into it uh, and enjoyed it a lot more um second time around so um yeah i i think it was a good movie um it's probably in the top half of my bond movies overall but um as a standalone movie on its own but, um, and daniel craig got to act which he hadn't done in the previous four <laughs> we actually see, got to see him act in this one uh, which i i really liked so uh, yeah and we can get into some of the details and the spoilery oh, yeah. stuff but yeah, overall we'll yeah i i was pleasantly surprised how much i did actually enjoy it so. awesome awesome matthew what about you no, I, I came into Bond in 2002, so that was the tail end of the Pierce Brosnan era. So I've, I, in some ways, you know, Daniel Craig has become, you know, he's, he's not necessarily my favorite Bond, but is, you know, that would be Timothy Dalton, uh, for better or worse. But, you know, I just, I've, I feel like in some respects I've grown up with his Bond in a big way, and certainly in the way that I didn't with perhaps the others having sort of, you know, binge-watched over, you know, a couple of years, those. So it's been an interesting journey, uh, starting with Casino Royale and moving onwards. And, you know, in, re- in sort of the lead-up to this, I was reviewing the films for Warp Factor and sometimes just, you know, going back and watching the films to update reviews mm-hmm. and sometimes writing new reviews from scratch. So it was – I went into it sort of with a lot of the details – fresh in my mind um and particularly having watched specter again and thought okay this was a slightly better movie than i remembered it being so you know that's a pleasant surprise it was probably a good thing given how much this tied in with specter 
That said, you know, as somebody who came into Bond through the Fleming books as much as the movies, there's a lot, you know, one of the things I've appreciated about these last three Craig films is that influence of the later Fleming books, particularly on Her Majesty's Secret Service, You Only Live Twice, The Man with the Golden Gun, sort of the, the older wounded Bond. And that is something that Craig, in particular, from my point of view, really nails that kind of sense of late Fleming, the kind of the worn down, slightly older, you know, I ought to be thinking about retirement but i can't seem to let this job go bond and that was something i think that worked beautifully in this film and and you know picking up on something alan said you know picking up not only on the references to the films but to the references to the various books as well and one of them in particular basically had its whole ending uh updated and reworked here which you know i was sitting there in the, in the theater trying not to giggle like a little fangirl if i'm perfectly <laughs> honest um I was, you know, I I walked away from it not with the triumphant punching the air that I did with Casino Royale or that I indeed after Skyfall, for that matter. Um, But I walked away with kind of the same feeling I did after Avengers Endgame. And that's I keep, you know, and this film, No Time to Die, is basically to Craig's era what Avengers Endgame was for the first decade of the MCU. It is the tying up of all these loose ends. It is the end of an era. So I walked away satisfied that I had seen the ending of an era and the ending of a story that I'd been following for basically half my life at this point. Pretty much, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Well, what about you, Mike? What, uh, what were your thoughts going in and out? Well, going in, it was like, Gosh, I've missed watching James Bond movies. It was always a tradition, actually, with Judy's mom before she passed away. Anytime a new James Bond movie, we were there opening weekend. And it became a tradition. And she made it all the way through, I want to say, Spyfall. And then because she didn't see Spectre with us because she was already gone by that point. And, but it's always just been a tradition for then Judy and I, you know, in honor of her mom and everything to go see. And it didn't matter to her who was playing Bond. Bond was always the most handsome, always the most suave. And I always loved that about it. Bond and I grew up, you know, I grew up with James Bond. I remember watching him on the Sunday night movies on ABC and, you know, when I was a kid and then, you know, HBO showing the HBO, the, the Bond movie marathons and all that. And it was just, you know, I grew up with that. And now Daniel Craig, it was interesting because, you know, with Casino Royale, you had the birth of Bond, basically. You had, this is how he became a 007, you know, and now you had the evolution and this is his final adventures. I went into the theater hoping for a good movie. Um, I was not the biggest Spectre fan, um, but I was, you know, I rewatched it probably about two weeks ago because I wanted to be caught up because I knew this tied in really close with this that movie. And I'm glad I did because some of the stuff I had forgotten also. And I thought this was a good, a perfect bookend. This movie tied it up and it tied up this chapter of bond and some of the things were very obvious you know you knew she was pregnant when she got on the train you know judy like whispered in me she's pregnant and it's like 
what? She's holding her stomach. Look, you know, that was, that was pretty obvious. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, but me being a guy, I was like, Oh, okay. You know, but you know, but so it was, but there was, and there were some great scenes, but it wasn't, you know, James Bond's action packed and, you know, it actually started fairly slow, you know, for a Bond movie. And then when they had the cask, you know, the, the mausoleum exploded. Then it was like, boom, boom, boom. It was just like, okay, this is Bond. This is what I, I look for, for an opening sequence of James Bond. But most of that scene you had seen in the previews or in the trailers. And I was glad they got that out of the way first. Um, then, you know, at the end, all I heard from like, throughout the theater was sniffling because people were crying at the end, including my wife, you know, she's, and she, and it was just awesome to see. And I, you know, and I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good ending. And, you know, if you stay all the way to the end of the credits, it does say James Bond will return. Yeah. So, you know, we used to Ching get ching. exactly <laughs> well because it, it, it used to it used to be, you know, James Bond will return in Moonraker. James Bond. Will oh, they return. haven't listed the name of the next movie in like years, a long time. Yeah, yeah. As I say, I, I think Octopussy was the last one that they yeah, listed because they weren't sure. <laughs> they were never sure what it was going to be. But um, uh, but uh, well, that's interesting. That's cool. Um, I watched it today. Uh, I watched it the after, this afternoon. I'm still processing it. So those, for those listeners out there, I won't say this is my definitive review, but uh, it's it's about as uh, well. We have it on as, tape, dude. So as I was going to say, it's as, as, as much on record as I'm I'm willing to be. Um, but uh, um, I did go ahead and rewatch uh, through the whole pandemic. Actually, I rewatched all of the Bond movies, starting with Dr. No. And after each one, I made sure to listen to Van and Alan talk all about them on the uh, Honor Management Secret podcast uh, to, to tell me what I missed. Um, Thank you. Checks in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> and um, um, and uh, so, yeah, I had watched Spectre last night, uh, you know, in preparation for this. Uh, so the Bond, uh, the Craig movies were really fresh in my mind. Uh, I will say, as an overview, I think this movie is to spe- uh, Spectre as Quantum of Solace is to um, Casino Royale. Um, a lot of the same faults, a lot of the same strengths, maybe. I'm not saying that Spectre is nearly as strong as Casino Royale, by the way. Um, but uh, there is that link where it's like they pretty much happen right after each other and they're very much sequels uh, of one another. And if you don't see the first one, the, the second one is not going to, that next one is not going to be as, as rewarding. Um, but uh, I, I <laughs> the movie ended and uh, I saw the James Bond will return. And uh, uh, I think Alan, you said it because I, I, I was like, should I be angry? Cause there's something I'm feeling here. And is it anger? Um, and it was, uh, as best as I can say, it's, it was disappointment. Um, I did not like this movie. Uh, wow. I like parts of this movie, but I do not like it as a whole. I think as a, as a James Bond movie, it comes up very short. And, uh, and as the, I, you know, maybe it's a bold idea to, to kill the character off at the end. 
Um, I think uh, they thought they were clever in like, hey, you know, we'll use that same we have all the time in the world phrase. And instead of being like Bond's wife or woman that gets killed, we'll kill Bond. Isn't that clever of us? Look at how edgy we are. We're killing James Bond. I just don't feel like James Bond is a character that you kill. Um, that uh, I just don't think that's a story that uh, that needs to be told. And, and that that's just maybe like I said, maybe that's just me. But I certainly think going into, you know, going forward, when people talk about this movie, that's what everybody's going to talk about. Have you seen the Bond where Bond dies? That's going to be like, that's the big thing. And is that going to help it in the box office and the streaming and everything like that? I don't know that it will. Because I don't think anybody wants to see that. I don't think anybody's ever said, like, I wanted to watch the James Bond movie and I wanted to see him die at the end. I mean, it's just like not something that I think uh, I wanted to see. And there's other mistakes that this movie makes, I think, as well, that didn't work for me as strongly. And uh, we can talk about those. And I certainly hate to be like a, a Debbie Downer. Like, I don't want to be that guy. I really don't want to be that guy. Um, I hate being that guy. So that's why when I came out of this movie, I was conflicted. I was like, did I really not like that? And as I was thinking it out, I was like, no, I, I really didn't like this movie. Would you uh, like the movie better if they didn't kill him at the end? No, no. Okay. Uh, that's that's the exclamation point on the like not liking it, but I don't like a lot of this movie. I think it had a lot of promise going in, but there's a lot of things I think they dropped the ball on. A lot of potential, but a lot of uh, ball dropping, and and uh, so I, and I you know and so for me it was one of those things where like I thought like I always thought George Lazenby had it really easy right because every single actor that's played James Bond their last one has been their worst one or one of their worst ones right like their first one is usually like pretty high maybe not their best but pretty strong and their last one is always terrible and I thought well hopefully (laughs) that Daniel Craig can break that curse you know and in my mind that that didn't happen so uh, I, I do think this, I would put this as the last one as far as uh, my liking of the Daniel Craig movies. So, wow. so that said, um, uh, so let's talk about more stuff that we liked. Uh, that's well, actually, I can, I go, can I go back to your not killing off James Bond thing? Yes, please do. So Fleming actually tried to do it twice. Yeah. Sure he did. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's not like they and. Um, the rumor around the fact they were going to kill off Bond was been going around on this movie even before it went into production. In fact, it's meant to be one of the reasons of the original da- split between Danny Boyle and, and the broccoli and uh, Dana Broccoli and Eon is that any, actually Danny Boyle was, you can't kill off James Bond. I'm not going to kill off James Bond. And the producers and Daniel Craig were, no, we want to kill off James Bond. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's not like it was a big shot with this movie. They've been talking about it literally for yeah. about four years um, that this was going to happen in this movie. Uh, and I, I think Daniel Craig wanted really to, and I, I, I'm sort of projecting here, I don't know for certain, but I'm pretty sure that, you know, that was one of the things he wanted to do was to... It's probably the only reason he came back. Fate yeah. out. And I think it's actually the reason that Barbara Broccoli got him back was because she kept saying to him, and I've read this in interviews, that she would say to him, your story is not finished yet. Yeah. Um, and I think that was, you know, you can come back if we just phase you out and finish the story and you're completely done and then nobody's going to keep asking you if you're going to play James Bond again, you know, um, and, and you, you've got big input. So um, for me, I mean, we talked about Endgame earlier, you know, the... Uh, Tony, spoilers. Tony Stark dying in Endgame. You know, <gasps> what? Um, <laughs> 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 it, 
it, you know, the, the idea of the, the titular hero sacrificing himself is not new. It's one of the oldest tropes in, in, in heroic storytelling. So yeah. is James Bond a character that can die? Certainly, because there's been so many iterations of James Bond. And I love the fact that now we've got a clean slate. We can move forward. Instead of trying to continue the continuity for 20 years or the last six movies worth of continuity, we can really just start afresh. Um, and there's so many potential ways that they can go, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. No, no. You I, know, I, I, for, for me, killing off Bond, he, he's not a sacrosanct immortal character. Um, he, yeah. He's somebody who can be killed off and reinvented. Um, you know, as long as you... Um, um, you know, also the idea of having you know somebody else carry the 007 number, no problem with that. Bond wasn't always 007 in You Only Live Twice, which is referenced heavily in this movie. He had a different, oh, yeah. he had a different code name, code number. Yep. There was a 007 before James Bond. There'll be 007s after James Bond. Um, so, you know, um, within the fictional universes, there already has been. So, again, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, yeah. So. yeah. Well, that's cool. Mm. I mean, I yeah. I Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, Ashley. Yeah, I just want to say I would echo what you said, Alan. Um, to me, at least the way I interpreted it, it didn't feel like a gimmick. It felt like a moment that was emotionally earned within the movie because it was a very personal decision. Like he chose to sacrifice himself for the woman he loved, for his daughter, for his friends. And so it felt kind of similar to me, like the Iron Man moment. Like he knows what's going to happen. He knows what he's doing. He's sacrificing himself. And this just wasn't played for shock value, at least in my opinion. So it's always kind of interesting to see how the same movie moment can hit people differently. But at, but my reaction was pretty much in line with yours, Alan. Yeah. yeah. And I was, I was one of those people sniffling. And at the end, certainly the first time I saw it, there was a lot of dust in the movie theater. I needed to. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I will say that. I, I said it was allergies. Tear. It was allergies. Yeah. Yeah. It was allergies. Yeah. I, 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 I shed a tear. I mean, it moved me. Uh, I don't know that it was as sacrificial as they wanted it to be because uh, I, I thought like, look, I mean, we have this realm of possibilities where anything can happen and you're kind of cutting it off before you even give it a chance. Like, you know, like, you know, just because Q says it's permanent doesn't mean it's permanent, permanent, right? Like there can be workarounds. Um, there's such thing as, as, you know, as we've all found out that over the last year and a half, there's such thing as Zoom. You can communicate with your family <laughs> that way. You know, you don't need to like, be that guy uh but anyway except that's not how they establish that's not how this works that bond being alive and coming into contact because they they do the whole thing about everybody going to the funeral and kissing the corpse and get it catching it that way but they were related right but that means that if somebody shakes bond's hand it goes around the world and whatnot and eventually it comes around again we've just spent 18 months in the middle of a pandemic we ought to know how this works by now right exactly and we also know that there's workarounds we also know that there's workarounds for pandemics, right? So anyway, all right. Bond, about Bond could wear yeah. gloves for the rest of his life. You know? <laughs> it's true. Whatever. I mean, uh, if, if, I, if I can, before we move on, just to add, kind of add what, uh, to what Alan and Ashley were saying, something else, too, and going back to what you were saying, Alan, that the Craig films take place in their own particular universe as they were. I think that because of that fact – and because we have Casino Royale as the beginning, as the alpha uh, of Craig's story, there has to be an ending. There has to be an Omega to go along with that. And I think that's one of the reasons why they they went for it here and why I think for me that it worked. Um, but again, you know, different moments hit people different ways, as Ashley was saying. Mm-hmm, but I think exactly. I think it was it was something that was earned because, again, 
that's part of this story that we've been on for the last 14, 15 years. I, I, I think if, if I had been happier with the story and if I had been happier with the villain and if I'd have been happier with a lot of other things in this movie, I would have appreciated the sacrifice more. Well, but there was a lot of things that led up to this that I didn't feel like that this was earned. Well, let's so, get into that real and, quick. And I was going to say, and let's, let's, so let's, yeah, let's, let's talk about more specifically. Yeah. I, uh, I, but, let's go on villain first. Cause I thought Rami was horrible as a villain. I thought he was written horribly. Yeah. I thought, look, I, we all know that Rami's a great actor. At least I know he is. And, yeah. and, and that goes to, for a lot of these people that are in this movie. Um, but I thought that they were given nothing so, mm-hmm. of substance to do. And I thought Rami was trying, but I just he just couldn't make this guy. Out of all the Daniel Craig Bond villains, he was the weakest, probably. And I just it just didn't do anything for me. His scenes weren't even powerful at all. I can't figure out the math. Are we led to believe that he's like fifteen to twenty years older than uh, uh, Bond? Madeline? Madeline? Yeah. Madeline. Like, because when we see Madeline get saved from the ice, like that looks like a grown man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, and that, that doesn't look like a boy who just lost his entire family. Like I was like, "What's the math on this?" Because I, he doesn't seem like he seems like he's only a few years older than her. Yeah, and it, that was something that bugged me watching the film because I'm sitting there going, "Going, okay, Madeline's dad killed his family when he was a child, but he's an adult here. But he's only, I, in some ways, I think Mal- Rami Malek was just a bit too young to play the part. In some respect, if that was what they were going for, I have to say, I mean, there, there's there's something unsettling in his performance, but the, it lacks menace." You know, all the lines are whispered. You know, he never raises his voice. He never does any of that. There was an unsettling quality to it. But I just couldn't believe him as the villain. That's interesting because I actually actually felt the understated performance made him more threatening. Um, But for me, I think they missed a great opportunity of if his thing was that he was out to destroy Spectre, I think they should have done something in the storytelling that when they were talking about Spe- they were talking about Spectre earlier on, they'd said something about we've noticed over the last ten to fifteen years somebody has been out there slowly dismantling Spectre and killing Spectre agents, mm-hmm. and exactly. then Saffin Saffin could have been a character that they thought was an ally at first was an unknown ally who was actually doing the same thing that they wanted to be, and then he, they found out at the end obviously that he had other motives which were a bit unclear so I, I think he was an underused villain I think they actually I think they should have had him more and they should have sprinkled at least the results of his actions throughout more of the movie rather than waiting whatever it was 40 minutes before he turned up that's um, true yeah. and, and that that scene where he first turns up too or that we see him uh, in her yeah. office as a patient um, very similarly to how she's introduced to Bond yeah, I think uh, they they definitely have the they definitely hammer you in the head with the okay, yeah I think that was the deliberate the, with deliberate the parallels, parallels of that yeah, right yeah yeah um, but it doesn't work and yeah to me and and I think they were also uh, visually going for a Doctor No type vibe 
Um, and it just, it, to me, it just didn't work. And I, I, I was, I, that's the part, uh, one of the parts of this movie I was looking forward to the most because I think he's nailed uh, a lot of the other performances that I've seen him in. Um, but it didn't work for me uh, as far as that goes. But I, I, like I said, I don't want to wallow in well, things that didn't work. Um, I do want to talk about things that you liked or things that you worked uh, that, that you liked and that things that did work for you. Ashley, what's something else that you loved about this movie specifically? Well, something that I've kind of appreciated about the uh, Daniel Craig era is what they have done with the female characters. I feel like Mm -hmm. taking the stereotypical Bond girl and giving them more agency, more depth of character and really making them like an equal, a foil for Bond. My favorite is still uh, Eva Green as Vesperlin from Casino Royale. I feel like it's top that. And I appreciated that that was a through line they had running through the movies that his experience with her impacted him and it's gave a shadow him that reaches all throughout you. the yes. like in, in, yes. even in this one yeah and i like that they found a moment to give him closure with that and just the different uh female characters and i really liked the uh, new 007, the actress's name is escaping me right now. But, oh, that um, was uh, Lashana Lynch. Yeah. Yes, from, I thought... She was from Captain um, Marvel. Yes, yeah, I thought she was great. I would love to see her secret agent show up again. I really liked um, their take on Miss Moneypenny. I feel like there's a lot of strong female characters in this area in this era and i would like to see many of them carried over into whatever they do with the bond franchise next i want to add to that and say um also anna de armas <gasps> yes she was yes. just amazing she was she's, a delight she stole she's, that scene that she, she was stole in. the movie yeah like, to me she stole the movie like she had life she had energy she was a surprise she was great and then the rest of the movie i was like where's this energy where's this where where is she and she just breezes in and breezes out which i i, uh, and I loved her in knives out and she, oh, yes sure. yeah and then seeing her like this was just the total opposite and it was just awesome oh yeah she did great with the action sequences i'd be curious to see how many of her own stunts that she did because i feel like she should definitely be put in more of these roles in the future yeah, well, people are already calling for a Paloma movie, a spinoff movie. Oh, I mean, the Broccoli's uh, yes. have said they have no interest in doing any spinoff movies. But it would um, it would have been I, awesome she's though. Made an impression. Oh, I, I have three weeks training. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, I must admit, I didn't quite like the ditzy part. Of, I thought that was going to be an act, and at the end, we would find out that she was really just like just sort of playing him. But obviously, there was some elements that were uh, like that too. But. Um, uh yeah, I loved her performance. I loved her in it and unfortunately by the end of it I was thinking to myself, wow, she didn't her role wasn't even really necessary in this movie. In fact, I think that the person who should have been doing what she was doing was Nomi. Um mm-hmm. because I liked Lashana Lynch okay, but Nomi did nothing for me. And if you're going to have somebody portray Double O, Double O agent at all, let alone a 007, they need to be. They need to kick ass. They need to show me that they're uh, active, and they need to show me that they can do stuff. And I'm sorry, but this character, not the actress, this character, did not do anything for me that way. I was let uh, down with her. The scene when the scene when they when 007 was trying to protect 
the family. The you family. thought she was going to show up, right? Yeah, Help? I, I thought so, so too. No, she showed, she showed up, up at the, the end. end. Yeah. yeah, need a yeah. ride. I, I, as you know, and she like, what does she do at the end? She just boats the fan, like she just boats the girls over to this uh, island. Like, like she didn't need to do. Like, I just, I'm like, what is she supposed to be a double O? She's supposed to be just as powerful as, as James Bond is, and yet I, she did nothing to me, and I feel that's a very bad misstep especially because of the way they cast her and the controversy that arose like you need to be able to back that up and it didn't do anybody any favors i don't think agreed i agree with that um so that that disappointed me i'm sorry and we're getting back to the bad thing uh matthew uh, quickly tell me something that you liked and i promise i won't i won't down on it uh, something that, so, yeah, fair enough. Uh, something that actually surprised me about the movie because I have a love hate relationship with the composer in question, uh, Hans Zimmer, who did the score for this. You know, he either does magnificent work. You know, Interstellar is one of my favorite film scores of the last decade. On the other hand, he is responsible for ninety eight percent of the bland action movie scores that have populated you know Hollywood <laughs> films for the last twenty five years. God help us. Uh, so I was, I, I had some trepidation hearing that. Uh, he was going to be doing the bo- doing the Bond film, but I have to admit, uh, him and Steve Mazzaro, who uh, I think is credited with additional music, but at least according to an interview in Variety last year, according to Zimmer, deserved the top credit. Um, I love the score to this. I was very pleasantly surprised by how good the music was in this. Um, and not just because of the callbacks to previous scores, particularly yeah, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, we get not only we have all the time in the world playing in a couple of spots, but also the theme, the theme. from that. He is oh, my hero for theme. bringing that back. Yes. I think he's the first composer to do that since that movie. And I appreciate him for that. Yeah, I mean, John Barry would quote himself from time to time and was, but nobody had ever really gone back and quoted a chunk of score before now. But I have to say, you know, the score, you know, the score overall, in, in, for the most part, really nailed that vibe. And I have to say, you know, Thomas Newman, who did Skyfall Inspector, did not do a good job on scoring either one of those movies. You know, they're very bland kind of action movie scores. Uh, you know, they have a couple of, they have their moments, but for the most part, if it's not the James Bond theme, they're dull. Zimmer, I think, and, and Mazzaro knocked it out of the park. And I know that the Billie Eilish song has been very controversial in some circles, but I, I did enjoy the song. Uh, it's very down, it's very melancholic, which, you know, not only fits her, but also fits the tone of the movie they're going for. And I did like, too, something that Zimmer did that we haven't seen done since Casino Royale when David Arnold uh, worked with Chris Cornell and the theme to that. They actually worked the song into the score. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, they quoted as kind of a light motif throughout, uh, which is, you know, is always, I think, something that when you do a Bond film, it, you've got to work that theme tune in. Otherwise, it's just another piece of music for the movie. I'm, I'm going to pass this over to Alan. <laughs> Because <laughs> I know Alan has thoughts about the score, uh, and I'm looking forward to hearing him talk all about them uh, with Gerald as well. Yeah, um, I actually haven't listened to it. The, the, the vinyl is sitting right next to me here, and I haven't opened it yet because I deliberately didn't open it before I went to see the movie because I that wanted makes to sense. hear it. Yeah, that in makes the sense. movie, I, I same way. Yeah. Um, I did the same thing with my CD. Yeah, yeah. Um, I loved the score. I thought it was great. Um, and just going back, some of the interviews I've, I've listened to to Hans Zimmer, I, I loved the, the interviews I've heard with Zimmer because he went completely off the PR speak track. 
um, and would constantly reference Steve Mazzaro um, and say that he'd done most of the work. Um, he clearly knows his Bond music history. He was citing stuff down like to who was the most regular trombonist on the Bond scores over the years. I mean, he, he knows the deep stuff. He was constantly referencing David Arnold. Um, he really drew from John Barry what he knew about John Barry's work, David Arnold's work, um, and added his and Steve Mazzaro's spin to it. Um, I think it was a great, great score, and I'm really list- looking forward to actually unwrapping this vinyl tomorrow and putting it on the turntable and giving it <laughs> giving it a listen. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I really love the score. Um, just going back to the female characters, um, I think it was great. I, I do... Sorry, Ashley, but I actually do have a problem with people saying, unlike the typical Bond girl, there is no such thing as a top- typical Bond girl. There has been strong female characters all the way through the franchise history. Fiona Volpe, Pussy Galore, Waylon, Jinx, uh, I... Natalia, there's there's been so many strong Bond women who are Bond's equals throughout all the movies. It it just annoys me every time we get a Bond movie and the, whoever is the Bond actress says, mine's not going to be a typical Bond girl. There is no such thing as a typical Bond girl. They've all had strong women all the way through the franchise. Um, right, I'll get off that soapbox. Hmm. Um, having said that, um, I thought uh, Anna de Ames' character was great. But I actually loved the fact that we didn't get too much of her. I think it was definitely a less is more moment where it's like, that's a great character. And she came in, she did her stuff and then was done with, I thought was great. I thought they handled that way better than they did with the Monica Bellucci stuff in Spectre, where she had a five minute scene. And it's like, I want to know what happened to her with Anna Dahmer's character. It's like, she came in, she kicked ass, done. And we moved on. I thought like, that here's was where great. I get off. Yeah. <laughs> um, Lashana's Lynch, I, I take your point. Um, Mike, about the not being quite up to a double O. Um, I expected a bit more ass kicking. I think she played the character really well. Yeah, I don't have any problem with the actors. Um, no, not at all. Neither um, of us. But I, I, I think we could have got a bit more action scenes out of her as well. Um, I did like the backgrounds and forwards where she kept pretending that she wasn't bothered about who had which double O designation, but she kept asking double O what double O what. I, I sort of liked that. I thought that was, that was good. Good. So I, I think they did a good job overall. I'll tell you the one thing that really surprised me was actually Leah Sado because I hated her inspector. Mm. I could not believe that relationship was a real relationship at all. Inspector. I thought that there was like n- no chemistry between her and Daniel Craig inspector at all. And I actually warmed up to her in this one. And I think it's because, again, like they let Daniel Craig act in this one. They let her act in this one. Um, and my wife, actually, uh, Jill, actually said that, you know, one of the things she really likes about seeing her in this one is, one, she's not conventionally pretty. Two, any actress that allows her face to be on a big screen showing her sniffling and snot coming down her nose and stuff <laughs> um, is a good actress. Um but Ace, uh, yeah, this is in my book there. Yeah, I, I think that that I, I I warmed up to her a lot more in this movie than I did in the previous one. I was pleasantly surprised by how good her acting chops were in this one. Because the only other thing I'd seen her in Spectre. So um I think but, that's I've only seen her in these two movies as well. Um so so that was a good for me. Um I did love the references in this, unlike the Sam Mendes ones where they slapped you over the face with the references, like, oh look, it's a DB5, and we've made it all shiny and pretty. Um, I liked the references in this one. They were a lot more subtle, um, even if they did reuse the cars too much. But, you know, a lot of the other references were good. We enjoyed the reference spotting. And, and um, 
you know, as, as Matthew said, uh, there was a lot of stuff in there that was referencing the books as well, which I really liked. It wasn't yeah. just back to the movies. If you know you're Fleming, um, and I totally geeked out. I, you may not have seen it, but in in, um, in Bond's beach hut, when he walks around the bedroom, the actual, his writing desk was actually a replica of Ian Fleming's writing desk, design and style. Um, and I totally freaked out when I saw that because Jill and I have been lucky enough to actually sit at Fleming's desk. So we were, we were both like, look at that. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, there was a lot of fun stuff in there for the, for the real Bond geeks as well as the casual viewer, I thought. So, uh, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of Fleming in this. So, there is know. a lot of Fleming. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of odes to him too. You know, yeah. For yeah. It. it's very nice. I mean, that he chooses, uh, to make it that's to where his retirement is i think yeah that's, mm-hmm. that's very yeah. cool um, yeah. oh i you know, love the only thing, i love the, the house. Only thing that would have been like even more in my face is if he had been like if he had been writing a book about like bird watching or something uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> now they did that in die another day though they did that one they've already yeah, done they that did. that's true they did. <laughs> yeah um uh, and Alan, uh, I know we got to see the Aston Martin Valhalla in this just real briefly, right? We didn't get to see yeah. it like in action, though, right? That was yeah. frustrating because, like, I thought they dropped that scene. And I'm like, oh, surely we're going to see that later. No, like, no. I was like, damn. <laughs> I, I, I will say, I always have a pro- I, I have had a problem with the Aston Martins in the fact that if you go back to Goldfinger when that came out, the DB5 was something that somebody who had a reasonably good salary could probably afford and drive around it. So it sort of made sense. But for them to be driving around in $3 million prototype vehicles, uh, like they were in the last movie, you know, spies driving around in cars that cost, I don't know, a million dollars. Yeah. It's ridiculous. So yeah. Yeah. But and then to see them all get wrecked. It's always so exactly. Oh yeah. But they're, they're not even, they're not even Aston Martin DB5s. They're, they're BMWs with an Aston Martin shell. On. Oh, I'm not meant to say that. Sorry. So. Yeah. Wow. Somebody got offended on Twitter when somebody pointed that out. And I was like, it's a movie folks. Yeah. <laughs> they built 25 of them and wrecked them all. Well, most of them. Yeah. It's like, they're, they're not DB5s. Uh, Mike, what's something that you, well, something else that you like from the movie? I like you had mentioned, I think Alan had said, Madeline was not your typical Bond girl. She was real. She didn't, she had a nice, this sounds sexist, sorry, but she had a very nice real body that you would see on a person you would meet on the street, not somebody you would see as a supermodel or something. And I loved, she, even her teeth, you know, she had a hmm. gap in her, you know. And she's not a traditional beauty, but she was very beautiful. And I thought that was really awesome for them to do. And, you know, the whole thing, you know, showing, you know, how she grew up that, you know, you know, she was basically, you know, being a slave to her mother until her mother was killed. And it was, it was, it explained a lot about this. Um, one of the things I did love, I still love Christian Waltz as Blofeld. I thought that whole plot line with the bionic eye was just genius. They were carrying the eye through the party and everything. That was just awesome. I thought and, that was cool. And Blofeld was like, ah, James, I see you're here. And, you know, welcome to your funeral. And, you know, that was just so awesome. And then... I just thought that was really well done. And there was just like the little things I liked about this movie. And if there was parts of this, I felt like were very old James Bond, 
you know, like you could have seen Sean Connery in some of these or, you know, type thing. And that's one of the things I liked about it. Um, the whole scenes with him, you know, when he unmasked, you know, well, she took off her wig and, you know, she said, oh, I'm the new 007, you know, type thing. And I loved you know, I love that that felt like something right out of almost Dr. No or something, you know, and it felt that those scenes were great and everything. But after that, you know, and of course, you know, I loved seeing Felix again, you know, and I was not shocked Felix died again. All right. You know, this is, yeah, this is what he's like the Kenny of James Bond, basically. <laughs> It's not, you're not totally wrong about that. No, no. And so it was like, you know, Judy was upset. They killed Felix. And I said, again, you know, afterwards. So they killed the watcher. Sorry. Uh, well, exactly. And, you know, I just <laughs> yeah. said, you know, they'll, you know, they'll just go to Westworld and get a new one of them. It'll be okay. <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah. So, uh, I love Jeffrey Wright. So, I mean, he can't do any wrong in my opinion. And he was been, he's been a great Felix. He was right from the very beginning. And I, you know, and so I liked a lot of that. And I loved some of the feel when he was back in the UK and some of that. And, you know, I love, you know, I love Ben as Q. I thought I still love that. And I think I hope they carry him into the next movie. You know, it would be awesome, you know, because and so it just it's it's nice to see you know, the roles continue and, you know, I've, I enjoyed a lot of it and some of it, the base under siege, they should have gone and had an army waiting, you know, that would have been more, you know, bond type feel. Oh, the U S Marines are waiting to, you know, to come in or the British Naval. Like, yeah. yeah. I was like, Oh, does this film during the pandemic? Could they got not get that many people? They just had to send missiles. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, you know, it's, it felt like the volcano under siege, you know, type thing. And I was waiting for that. And I was actually a little disappointed. That's how, oh, we'll just fire missiles. And it's like, oh, that's going to be so easy. To, and, you know, I put two and two together before. But and you know what? I, I didn't even mind the thought of Bond being a father. That was, you know, kind of touching, you know. Oh, he's not. She's not yours. She has my eyes, you know. <laughs> She's not yours. Like, yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, tell us yeah. another one. Uh -huh, exactly. We, so. all, we can we can do math. Exactly. Right? But yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but there were definitely, and, you know, I loved a lot of the smaller characters. But, you know, there's one or two I, I just couldn't believe in this one. So it was just like, but we won't get into that. I think my I favorite say, action. Can, okay, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, sorry. You know the the family thing. I, I will say actually one of my absolute favorite moments in the movie is when Bond was actually introducing Madeline and the girl's name I've momentarily forgotten to Naomi. And uh, he actually, Matilda? Ma Matilda. Matilda. Yeah, he actually um, whispers the word family under his breath. He's like, "This is my family." Yeah. yeah, family. And he gets that look of realization in his mind that he, in his eyes that he's actually has a family. I thought that was one of my absolute favorite moments in the movie. I, I think, uh, you know, towards his, the end, the end of his character, the death, I, I think the thing that touched me the most was when he said, you know, when he was talking and he said that she's the most beautiful thing I've ever yeah. seen in my yeah. life. I mean, it was yeah. hard not to tear up there just alone, uh, just along that. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, James Bond movies are always known for their amazing uh, chases, set pieces, action pieces. And uh, it started off really well for me. As soon as 
the as soon as Vesper's crypt explodes, um, we have this like wonderful action sequence um, on foot on in in the car and all that. I loved all that. Um, granted, as Mike said, some of it was a lot of it was in the trailer. Uh, I don't spend a lot of time watching trailers, so I, a lot of it was still new to me. Um, but to me, I, and uh, you know, I didn't think any of the other uh, actions pieces worked near as well for me. Uh, were very memorable at all, but that one uh, I thought was the highlight of uh, the movie for me. Uh, do you guys feel the same way? Uh, I liked them, but I felt they were all a little too long. I was one of the things when we came out after the first one. I said to Jill, I think they could have taken. 10 to 15 minutes out of this movie by trimming down some of those action sequences. Mm. I, I don't think there was like a 15 minute section where they could take, you know, <laughs> right. take that and throw. But if, you know, I think if they trimmed a minute, a couple of minutes here, a couple of minutes there out of some of those action sequences, I think they just went on a little too long. I, I agree that the, I think the opening one was, was, was a really good one. I like the chase through the forest in Norway. I thought that was, that was really good. I actually thought the weakest one was the climactic one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to me, they got a little weaker as they went on. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, but I, to your point, I love the, uh, I loved it when he, when James just stopped the car and I mean, they're just hailing bullets on that thing. And of course it's bulletproof, but they're testing yeah. it. I mean, the guy that brings the gun right up the barrel of the gun right <laughs> up to the window and starts firing in. So it's only a matter of time before it's going to get through. And he's just like, uh, you know, I'm not gonna go any further until you say something. And, you know, she, she speaks a little bit and then that gets him out of it. But I, I like that moment. It was a nice character moment in this middle of this like chaotic chase scene. Yeah. So, uh, all right. So, uh, we have, a, uh, only like uh, about a few more minutes to talk about this, but I really want to talk about, you know, with this, with this movie, uh, the way that it ends, obviously it, it, as you guys have said, it bookends the, uh, Daniel Craig era. Um, and now they can do whatever they want. Uh, they've shown through Daniel Craig, through a casino Royale, they are not afraid to reboot the franchise completely. Um, and, uh, you know, but although some people have noticed that they, uh, some people have said that we want to see this character back. We want to see this character back. We want to see this actor back. We want to see this actress back. Um, I, I, I don't know. I haven't heard anything about the future, but I, I am kind of wondering like what, if they have any idea what the plan is to go forward or if they were just like, well, I mean, this is, they've known this ending was coming for years. Oh, yeah. As Alan's pointed out, they've known that this, certainly even before this movie, while it was still in production, they knew that they were going to end it this way. So certainly, I think, you know, I certainly think the Broccoli's have got, uh, Broccoli and Wilson have got ideas on what's going to happen next. I mean, they've already announced that they're going to, I mean, they put on here, James Bond will return. They've already kind of announced that they're going to recast, right? So it's just a matter of what does that look like? Is it going to take place in the same time period? Are we going to go forward? Are we going to continue on? Uh, you know, um, I hope this doesn't, I hope this doesn't allow the, those, those, uh, that theory that the James Bond name is just as transferable as the number, right? Like, like, you know, like he's the doctor. He could just be like reincarnated into another version, right? Like, <laughs> you know, like I just, I don't want to see that happen. They, but, and especially with this one, because they've made it clear that James Bond himself as a person has a specific history. 
that so it's not just a name. It's not just a name that's been assigned to him as well as a number. It is who he is. Didn't you see after that explosion, you know, the final scene in the credits where he started laying in the water and he started glowing? <laughs> he started glowing, yeah. He, he regenerated. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of similarities there. And, you know, there's a lot of similarities between him and, 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 and other uh, British heroes like Sherlock Holmes. I mean, I know Doyle wanted to kill him off and did kill him off. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's always that, 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 thing going on um so but yeah it's been done so where do you where do you see is there any hints of where the future is going or where would you like to see the future going ashley we'll start with you yeah so um i think what i would like to see is a pathway that kind of honors the past but also does something new that kind of opens it up for new fans to come in, like we talked about um, bringing in younger audiences, like how to get them uh, connected with the character, but also honor the people that have loved the franchise for years. So that's something that I would kind of like to see is a blending of the past and the future and to kind of continue to push the franchise forward. What does Bond look like in the modern age? You know, we live in a world where, technology connects us where a where crime can take place not even face to face like the m i believe talked about in this movie like you used to be able to get in the room with the bad guy but now you may not even meet face to face it's cyber crime so how do you adapt continue to adapt the classic tenets of these bond movies to the modern era and i think there's not necessarily easy answers, but I think that's exciting. I, any franchise I like to see continue to grow, take chances. And then just to kind of realize like not every portrayal um, works for everybody. I bet if you asked each of the five of us who our favorite bond was, we might all have a different answer, but um, just being willing to try new things. And even if it doesn't necessarily work for everybody, this new Bond may be the person who brings somebody new into the franchise like uh, Daniel Craig did for me. So that's that's kind of what I would like to see them do going forward. Yeah. yeah. Matthew, what about you? Well, I think in terms of question of do we know if uh, what they're already thinking, I think Broccoli and Wilson have always made clear that they focus on one film at a time. Uh, which I think explains so much of what happened with the Craig era and them, <laughs> yeah, tr- yeah, you know, some- retroactively having to link things together. Yeah, for a linear story that only took five movies, it's pretty much a mess. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty um, clear that they didn't have a plan going forward uh, with all five of those movies. Yeah, and I think not only that, but I think also as well that yeah, one of the things that caused major caused major delays on this before COVID ever hit was the fact that they decided to swap directors, you know, and add six months to the release time. They have to make up for all that. So hopefully they've learned some production lessons that way um, in terms of what they're going in terms of what the future may hold. I certainly know that the chatter in the Bond circles that I walk in, and Alan may be able to speak to this as well, there's a big push now to go back to the 50s and 60s when the original books were set. And, you know, in some ways that, you know, it's true that one of the things that's kept the films relevant is that they have updated with the times and they've kept Bond contemporary. That said, I think, you know, as as they talk about this film with the technology, and indeed it's been a theme throughout these last three or four films, that in some ways, you know, Bond and human intelligence is being outstripped 
by technology. So, you know, there is, I think, a temptation to want to go back to the, you know, the glory days of the Cold War, as it were, when Bond was a fresh character and the world's problems could not be solved with computers and cell phones and drones dropping a, dropping a hellfire missile from 30,000 feet. So, you know, I think there's a real temptation to want to go back to the 50s and 60s. And while they've mined quite a bit of the Fleming books, there's still books that haven't been adapted in full or even in part. And so it might be interesting to go back and want to start over again, as it were, you know, even if it's doing as they've done with the Anthony Horowitz novels uh, from the in Fleming estate, you know, setting new stories in that original timeline. So that's certainly a possibility. I mean, you know, as, as a bond fan for most of my life at this point, I will probably watch whatever they do. I may not be the biggest fan of it, but you know, I I'm, I'm intrigued to know where they're going to go next. I don't think they're going to do what they've done with Craig again, where they're going to try and link everything together. Huh. Or if they're going to do that, or if they're going to do that, they're going to learn the lesson of planning everything out ahead of time. Uh, and maybe, you know, we hope, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's Eon and it has to be said that, you know, production issues come up again and again with these films where it's like, how did you not learn this three or four films ago? So, um, to quote my other favorite British thing, time will tell. It always does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's been, in fact, in one of the panels that I was moderating uh, this weekend at SpyCon, it came up that uh, a lot of people would love to see the, uh, you know, the James Bond era the, it, take place in the, like they do in the novels to go back to that time to, to retell the novels, um, that kind of thing. And at the time, like this was only a day or so ago at the time I was like, I was just shaking my head. I'm like, that's never going to happen. Um, I will say that the way this ends, I was kind of like, well, this could open that door. Uh, this could open that door and allow for that. I don't know if that, I don't know. I don't know if that's where their head is at at all. Uh, they've seen reluctant to do that. Um, so I don't know. Um, Alan, what about you? I think it's highly unlikely that would ever happen, and I hope yeah. it doesn't. Um, I, I know a lot of people say they, that's what they want, but it's certainly not what I want. Bond, home, we, somebody mentioned Holmes earlier. Holmes is a character that works well in his time frame. Holmes works best. Late Victorian, early Edwardian, that time frame. That's when Holmes works best. Bond works best when he's a contemporary character dealing with contemporary issues. Particularly the movie Bond, and while Michael G. Wilson's got any input, he's always said that he Bond should be really reacting to the headlines of the day. Um, and if you look at what the things have been about, I mean, you know, th- this one is about pandemics and biowarfare and stuff. <laughs> you know, the previous one was about cybercrime. they're always reacting to what's happening in the world. And I think that's going to continue, certainly while um, Michael G. Wilson and Barbara Broccoli are are leading it. And I I don't think uh, Michael Sun's going to be any different. I think it's always going to be contemporary. Um, You can do contemporary world and bond in a contemporary modern world with all the intelligence. Just read the Dynamite comics. Uh They do that brilliantly. They have put Bond in today's world with today's technology, and they are great stories and they're great James Bond adventures. Um, I'm not saying that they should go adapt any of those because they won't because the license won't allow it. But I think they could, that's shown that you can take Bond and put him in a contemporary world and tell really good espionage stories with him and it'd still be James Bond. Um, so, you know, I, I would like, as much as I love some of the characters, I, you know, I think Naomi Harris has been a great money penny. I, I like Ben Wishore as Q. I like, 
I like the interaction uh, of the of the Scooby Gang uh, that we've had in in the last few Bond movies. Um, there's been great, but I think the best thing they could do is just do a complete clean slate, start again, do a contemporary, a young contemporary Bond who goes out and has really good adventures, and we have some fun. Remember when James Bond used to be fun? Um, we can have some fun, good adventures with some glamour and some travel and an interesting character um, and some good friends and just enjoy James Bond again. Yeah, so. You sure don't have fun when you kill him off at the end. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's why I so. think he shouldn't die at the end because uh, I, don't, I don't think Bond movies are – supposed to be built that way but i'm I'm sorry not gonna not gonna keep uh no i i I will but you know i will back you up on that i said i enjoyed this movie i think it's a good movie is it a good bond movie not really yeah but i think it's a good send-off for this particular character yeah if that makes sense mike any thoughts about the future of the franchise well, I'm just curious to see, you know, how soon they're going to get David Tennant to be Bond. So, <laughs> so it's just it's just a matter of time. I think, we're, I think it, you know, that that Bond Doctor Who crossover is going to happen at some point, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I think course. if it was ten years ago, we might see it. But I think it's the same problem with Idris Elba. They've just they've aged out at this point. Oh yeah, god, yeah, yeah. exactly. Look, if if they are looking at box office numbers and they are looking at you know that that percentage of young people that were seeing this movie and that's why it didn't do well, then I would definitely expect that the next person cast as James Bond is going to be under thirty. Oh, and God, it will yes. not it will not be a name that you know. It will not be somebody yep. who's re- been a, the lead actor in a movie. None of yep. them have ever been lead actors when they've right. been cast. Yeah. So true. Rupert Grant has no chance at all as nope. to be Harry Potter. So, so it will be very interesting to see what happens with Bond. I could. I wouldn't mind seeing them carry one or two of the actors over, but I'm I'm agreeing with Alan. I'm thinking a clean slate would be great because, you know, it was awesome seeing Judy Dench come over from the previous run of Bond. And it was good that, you know, pretty much they recast everybody else in the roles. And I would want to see that again when they do, you know, Bond again. Do I think did I get excited when you guys were mentioning, hey, wouldn't it be pretty awesome to see Bond as a Cold War character? And yeah, I would. I, you know, anytime you know, to me, the Sean Connery era of, you know, Goldfinger, From Russia with Love, Dr. No, You Only Live Twice, that era, I could definitely see them continuing those kind of stories and trying to capture it. And, you know, they did a great job when they did it in Mad Men and shows shows like that. Why not put that into a spy thriller and capture it with that? I think it could be really cool. Would it help capture a younger audience? That's a good question. If they have a video game adaptation of it, <laughs> yes. I think they might have a really good shot at it. Um, but, you know, that's all marketing and everything. We talked about that a couple weeks back when we did our Russell T Davies, uh, returning to Dr. Who, you know, the issues they're having with Dr. Who capturing a younger audience and a consistent audience. And it's the same thing. Bond films used to be out every other year for quite some time. And, you know, they've gone away from that recently, you know, over the last 15, 20 years. And I think they need to get back into that mold to keep him, you know, in mind. 
And if they can do that and, you know, I think you might hit the gold mine again with that. And because Bond is a lexicon. He is a name everybody knows. You go and say, hey, James Bond. Oh, do 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 do. You know, everyone, you know, even younger kids, you know, if they have cool parents, at least, you know, they know that, you know, so. But yeah, it's just, I definitely think Bond has a future, but I'm, I'll be very curious to see where it goes, how it comes, and where they go with it. But I'll be there no matter what. Thank uh, you for mentioning the James Bond lexicon, by the way. I appreciate it. You're more than welcome, <laughs> my friend. I was waiting for you to say something on that. It's right there on my show. Right there. Um, um, on mine and too. I did look at it though, <laughs> a few times this weekend. So, uh, so thank you. Uh, it came in very handy. Um, I, uh, I don't know. I don't pretend to know what I, I, I hate to put my expectations anywhere because, you know, that just sets me up for some disappointment maybe, but, but I do find it interesting that, you know, earlier this year, uh, Amazon is, uh, attended, uh, is intending to buy MGM. I don't think they've closed that deal yet, but that's their intention. And as we know from Netflix and, uh, HBO max and all the other streaming services, when a, co- a streaming company like this wants to buy a company for their IPs, they intend, they want content. They want lots of content. Um, uh, we talked about that also when we talked about HBO Max and, and Doctor Who and this new deal with Russell T. Davies' company. Um, you know, whether or not they're just going to be satisfied with just getting one show or in this case, one movie. Uh, certainly one movie every, what, five or six years? I don't think that's what Amazon is wanting from the James Bond franchise. So whether that opens the door for, I don't think we're going to get different James Bonds. I certainly don't want, I don't think we're going to get a James Bond series on Amazon that takes place in the, you know, fifties or whatever. And we're going to get, uh, a James Bond franchise that's, that's a movie bond. I don't think they're going to, they, they find us that we can't, you know, that's going to be too confusing for us uh, to be able to understand. But do was this allow for some additional characters to get uh, their moments in the sun and have a series or mini series or a movie? I, I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised. I know the Broccoli's have said that they are not interested in that. But, you know, like I said, Amazon isn't buying the license just to come out with a movie a few, every five years. So I am very curious to see how that relationship's going to go. And I think, uh, you know, we're going to get we're probably going to get more James Bond content out of it. Hopefully that also means licensing content, too, because as you guys said, there needs to be, you know, look, my wallet doesn't want to see all these cool James Bond stuff come out. But um, I think it's important. I think it's important for, you know, there, there's in there, you know, for those, those vehicles that are in this movie, you know, those need to be like in, uh, matchbox that, you know, hot Wheels shelves on the, on the stores. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Matthew, sorry, visually you can't see it, but he's got, you know, cause I certainly had those toys when I was growing up, even before I could see the movies, you know, before I was of age to see the movies, I was playing with the cars. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, maybe the movies themselves aren't, you know, uh, family friendly, but there needs to be some sort of, uh, merchandise there and tie in. So, uh, so I'll be really curious to see how that develops. And I do think that's going to be a big key, be big step going forward. And it should be interesting. I don't know what, you know, if they've got a timetable in mind, as far as, 
You know, I, I've heard of a lot of people say like, oh, I think I'm done with James Bond for a few years. They should just wait, you know? And I'm like, we've been waiting. <laughs> That's not the answer. <laughs> Nobody ever says that when they see an awesome movie. <laughs> nobody ever goes like you know nobody ever sees something that's like really awesome and goes like man i hope they don't make another one of those for like 10 years but nobody says that so uh, it's only after like you know the end the, and this is the end of an era and uh with that being said uh i guess we'll have our last final thoughts here ashley what uh what's your final thoughts on no time to die and the daniel craig era as a whole Yeah, like I had mentioned before, Daniel Craig was the portrayal that got me into the franchise. So it's always something that's going to be special to me and that I connected with. So it's going to be have meaning for me in that sense. And again, just hope that whatever next era comes, that it continue to bring in new new fans of the franchise, but also honor uh, what comes before and i'll also look forward to seeing what daniel craig does now that he has a little extra time on his hands i thought he was <laughs> absolutely delightful in knives out so if he we wants know to we're getting making, another one of those yes, yes. <laughs> so if he wants to keep making movies with ryan johnson i think that would be great i'll be fine with that they i just, have no problem they just film, finished wrapping up that one actually yeah just don't wait five or six years in between them agreed uh, agreed <laughs> Uh, Matthew, what, uh, what's your final thoughts on the movie and the franchise? I think my final thoughts on the film is, is that if it had come out 18 months ago, two years ago, like it was supposed to, I think we'd be reacting to it a bit more positively than we have both in terms of critical reaction, but also at the box office in terms of the franchise. You know, I think Amazon getting involved may push them to at least get the films out more regularly than they have. We forget that, you know, Eon in the late 80s, early 90s did briefly branch out into doing spinoff stuff with James Bond Jr. And uh, I think Michael G. Wilson has said on a handful of occasions when it's come up in interviews that Eon basically got bit quite badly on that one because it didn't work out for them and it was they got a mauling for doing it. And it didn't, you know, and it wasn't successful from a merchandising point of view. So you know, and they've also been bit bad about when they tried to do the Jinx spinoff film that we've learned more about in the last year or two. So I think the future of the franchise is going to be very much that Amazon's going to push them to, you know, give us a film every other year. You've got to start doing video games. You've got to start doing merchandise. And for that matter, merchandise that people can afford. Don't get me wrong. Million dollar Aston Martin replicas are really cool. I'm never going to be able to afford one, you know, something that those of us who don't have, you know, our own private islands playing James Bond villains on can actually afford and enjoy. So I'm hoping that's going to be the future of the franchise is, you know, bringing it back down to earth and to stop catering to, you know, the 1%, you know, section of the fandom. Yeah. Good call. Good call. And, you know, even if James Bond Jr. doesn't work out, now we've got, uh, what, Maddie Bond? Uh, young Maddie Bond Adventures, right? That we could have. So uh, that would be kind of interesting. Uh, Alan, your last thoughts on the film and the Daniel Craig era? Um, like I said earlier, I think the film is a good end cap to the Daniel Craig era. And for me, it is still that anomaly sidebar <laughs> right. to the Bond story, an important one, but it is a sidebar to the main Bond story. Um, I'll go back to my Fleming novels and my continuation novels and my <laughs> comics and enjoy the older movies and 
future of the franchise, like I said, I just hope they get back to the basics. Um, they start with a clean slate. Slate. I mean, the Amazon thing. I mean, Amazon still doesn't own doesn't own Bond. The Broccoli still own Bond. All they own is the distribution rights. Um, but I, I'm hoping they can put that pressure on to get back onto a regular cadence. It used to be once every two years. I think if they do once every three years now, but just get back on a regular cadence, um, I think would be good um, and help. And again, we've, we, I think everybody's mentioned this, just reach out to that younger audience and get the younger audience involved. Stop thinking of it as a high-end brand, lifestyle brand and realize it's an entertainment brand and, and mm-hmm. get people. In. We're actually talking about this on Twitter earlier on because somebody put up a poster of, um, on a Majesty's Secret Service from New Zealand, and it actually said had a sticker on it that said "Not suitable for children," and we were all going, "But that's when we got into Bond." Yeah, I saw that movie when I was ten. That's what made me into a Bond fan. So you know, let's you know, let's let's do something to get the younger audience back in. Otherwise, it's just going to be boring old farts with grey beards like me talking about it. So. <laughs> James Bond cereal, James Bond Happy Meals. Let's go. Let's get those yeah. out there. Hey, three uh, of the five of us have more, more, more Funko Pops. You know, whatever. <laughs> yes, yes. Awesome. Yes, awesome. Mike, what about you? Uh, pretty much what everyone else said. You know, I enjoyed probably the Daniel Craig films because I thought they were taking chances with bond and breaking with a lot of traditions you know bringing in more of a parkour type feel with a lot of the fighting and some of the action and i thought it was just it was a lot of fun and i loved how they aged bond through this and you know by the last three films he was you know the the bond with a bad knee and he you know uh, you know and he I couldn't get a shot off without his hand shaking and you know it was just all this kind of stuff it was realism because i was getting older at the same time as bond was in this and i felt it and i thought daniel craig did a great job he's not like any other the other james bonds who i love too each one is completely different and they played him to their their strengths and i think Let's get a new one coming in and a brand new start, a brand new fresh feel and a look. And I'm looking forward to what the future has, in, for, you know, coming for James Bond. Uh, well, you know, I'm not going to, you know, as I said, I, I was disappointed in this movie. And uh, I don't know. I think I might watch it again. Um, so just to just to see how I feel about it, because it's still processing. Um, but uh um, and I've known, you know, since I rewatched all the other ones, I will say that my opinion has slightly changed on a lot of them after a rewatch. Uh, so it is definitely possible that, uh, uh, this one can improve with age with me. And, uh, but the Daniel Craig era is over. Uh, I liked Daniel Craig as a whole, uh, his performance, his, his, uh, attitude. I love the fact that he was a, more brutal, uh, seemingly more honest. Uh, I mean, this, this bond was a killer. Uh, we, and that, I mean, Casino Royale set the tone that this was a killer not to be messed with more so than any of the, I think the bonds that we'd seen prior to this. And, uh, and, and it gave him, uh, a lot of, uh, intensity that I, I thought was really nice. And, uh, some of the stories weren't as good as I think they should have been. And that's unfortunate, but I think he did a great job. And, uh, I look forward to rewatching, uh, some of the other movies as well. Uh, again, 
as well as listening to this soundtrack because it was pretty awesome. Um, but um, uh, so going forward, I just hope that they, uh, you know, I just hope they keep, you know, I hope they do it right. Let's put it that way. <laughs> like, I hope it's more enjoyable. I hope there's an element of, as Alan said, of fun to it again, because uh, that's certainly why I think I was attracted to it in the first place. And, uh, you know, I'm curious. I'll be there no matter what, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious to see what they're going to do next. And I'm certainly not one that's like, oh, they should hold on to it and do nothing with it for 10 years or whatever. No, no. I want to see something in two years. Uh, I, I do. So that said, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, it's been a fun discussion and uh, we'll be right back uh, as we get creative. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about the last three episodes of Marvel's What If. So, if you haven't seen it yet, skip ahead. So, the last two episodes is a two-parter, but I decided to start with episode seven, What If Thor Were an Only Child? That follows Thor as an only child and a very much man-child at that. He goes to Earth to party. We see lots of amazing cameos in this episode, including an ice giant Loki. Jane falls head over heels for Thor, and that part of the episode was incredibly sweet as she's trying to cover up her feelings for him while also trying to get him to stop wrecking the Earth from his party. But I want to focus more on the ending of this episode where Thor goes to ask Jane on a date and Ultron shows up with the Infinity Stones, which leads us into the next two episodes. Episodes 8 and 9, What If Ultron Won and What If The Watcher Broke His Oath? This two-parter was fantastic, like every episode this season has been, and a, such a satisfying watch. And these two episodes ending it out was such a great ending to season one. We see a world where Ultron did inhabit Vision's body and takes over the world. The only people we see left are Black Widow and Hawkeye who are trying to stop him. They go to a warehouse in Siberia and try to find where Zola is located to try and use that computer interface to create a virus for Ultron. While all this is happening, Ultron is in space, and after destroying a bunch of worlds, he starts to hear the Watcher, and then he sees the Watcher. The two fight, and the Watcher realizes that he has to break his oath and form a team of heroes to stop Ultron. We actually get a glimpse of an episode that was not aired this season, but I guess it has been reported that the Gomorra episode will be aired in season two. The team fights Ultron and ends up winning while also being double-crossed by Killmonger. Surprise, surprise. I really loved how these last episodes tie the entire season together, and we got a lot of extra glimpses and answers, just questions most of us had for episodes in the each timeline. The What If series was such a satisfying watch, and I'm so happy they've said that they're going to do a season two. Thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. Welcome back to Earth Station One. Now it's time for the Creative Outlet segment. Let's welcome Jamie Ramos to the show. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Hi. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. Thank you. We uh, understand you've got a project that's going on right now. Yeah, my graphic novel, it's a 50-page graphic novel called John Heller, The Liberator. Awesome, awesome. What? Uh, tell us a little bit about it. What's, it. what's it about? It's about human trafficking. That's a worldwide scourge 
uh, and it exists here in America. Uh, John Heller is an operative for the government, uh, shadow agency of the government that actually frees people from the clutches of drug traffickers and sex traffickers. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's a pretty intense topic there. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a real problem that's going on here in the world and something that's actually touched my own life. Uh, unfortunately. Um, so I wanted to create a hero who actually takes these bad guys on and set these people free and get them where they need to go. So tell us about the, uh, the graphic novel. Uh, uh, is it all written or? Yeah, it's, uh, written, uh, it's being drawn as we speak and lettered. Mm-hmm. The artist is, uh, John Howard, uh, from Britain, who's a fantastic artist. Uh, he signed on board and I've got a, a little liberator, uh, Facebook page, uh, group. If anybody would like to join it and say hi. I've also got some uh, drawings in there and some concepts. Okay. Uh, got a, 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 some big league interest in the uh, graphic novel so far. And hopefully we can finish the production and get it where it needs to go. Awesome. Do you, uh, are you looking for a publisher? Are you going to do crowdfunding or, or have you gotten that far yet? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm funding this all out of pocket. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, it's it's tougher to do it that way. But, it is tough, but uh, it's something that's so close to my heart. Uh, I'm I'm in charge of the entire operation, so uh, it, it's a real work of uh, of pleasure and a uh, and something that's very close to me. Well, the uh, artwork on the website uh, on the Facebook group, if that's any indication, it looks it looks pretty awesome. It looks like a uh, it looks more like a, like an action piece, not, not, uh, you know, like an action movie, so to speak. That's, that's the feel. Obviously, uh, in comic books, we have to, uh, be cinematic and we have mm-hmm. to tell a story, but let's face it, the visual s- cinematography is the seller. Um, so basically he's going to be almost like an adventure character. Uh, swinging in, kicking in doors, shooting the bad guys, helping the people, that sort of thing. Gotcha. Now, you, you know, you said you're, you're going to be funding it yourself. Is it, is it a self-published effort or are you looking for a publisher? I'm looking for a publisher. Gotcha. Uh, I'm in, uh, meetings as we speak with a nice. publisher. I, w- I won't give out the name at this point since That's nothing's fair. been done. Yeah. Uh, but if it doesn't, if somebody doesn't sign us, then, then I will self-publish it. Understood. Understood. Well, um, uh, we will have a link to the, uh, Facebook group and our, in our show notes so that, uh, people can check out the work. I, I assume there'll be updates as the work progresses. Yeah. There's several updates, uh, in there right now about being on this podcast and, uh, where else I might speak, uh, given a chance. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's new production models there and and art. 
Awesome. Awesome. Well, like I said, it looks like it's, uh, it looks like it's a action packed, uh, graphic novel and uh, about a, a very serious topic, which, uh, I don't know if there's enough that's been done on that. Certainly, um, the, it's a problem that's, that seems to always never end, right? Uh, it's, uh, it seems to be always going on in some ways, even if we don't want to admit it sometimes. Well, exactly. Uh, my my wife is a social worker, and she's given me so much information uh, concerning uh, trafficking mm-hmm. and how it operates here in America. Um, I also have uh, a contact who is an operator in the government who gives me their angle on how they deal with it and things of that nature. Now, this is a fictionalized sure. story. But some of the themes that we're hitting on are real. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So, uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to checking it out. So hopefully our listeners will be as well. Um, anything else you want to promote or website that they can go to to find out what you're up to? Now, uh, basically, I'm on Facebook. Uh, you can join my Liberator group on Facebook. Uh, I'd like to uh, bring as much attention that I can to this this topic and this problem and uh want to hope everyone has a wonderful day and a great week awesome awesome and you have a wonderful time as well thank you so much for joining the show and and feel free to come back when uh when the book's all done and published i would love that thank you very much for giving me the opportunity absolutely absolutely take care best of luck have a good day welcome to dr geeks laboratory Dr. Geek here with another reminder that the ESO Network is pro-science and pro-vaccine. We urge you to be a superhero and protect yourself, your family, and your fellow geeks around the world. Don't be fooled by the forces of evil and their anti-science misinformation campaign. Consult the latest CDC guidelines, your doctor, and get the COVID vaccine today. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. I want to thank our guests for being here and inviting us to use their license to kill. It's pretty awesome. Thank you, guys. We do appreciate it. Alan, thank you so, so much for being with us tonight. My pleasure. It's great to be and with you. Anything you want to shout out about? Well, you already mentioned it earlier on, but I'll give another shout out to uh, a certain book called The James Bond Lexicon by myself and my wife, Jill, uh, that came out in April. It is a A to Z of the fictional worlds of Bond, 5,000 entries, every 271 James Bond stories covered. Uh, it's now available at your favorite online bookstore. And there is a companion website, jamesbondlexicon.online, where you can catch up with the latest things happening in the world of the James Bond lexicon and Bond generally and podcasts and all that sort of good stuff. Excellent. And we'll have a link to that in our show notes, folks. Absolutely. Of course, of course. And do you want to promote your podcast? Oh, yeah. And of course, we have the Associated on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast uh, Network, So, uh, which I'm sure my co-hosts will now get at me for not for forgetting to uh, promote. But uh uh, where we talk about the like movies. I haven't talk- already promoted it a lot in this. Uh, yeah, you've already mentioned it once or twice. Yeah, <laughs> uh, where we talk about the movies, we talk about the uh, the soundtracks, and then we have our fun rogue agent show where we talk about virtually anything Bond and spy related. That is awesome. That is really awesome. Thank you again, Alan and Matthew. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much for having me, as always. And 
Anything you want to shout out about, sir? Well, since you only plugged twice on this show. <laughs> I see what you did. There. I see what you did there. Oh, you're so, so funny. Sorry, I couldn't I couldn't resist that one. Um, I've been reviewing all the Bond films since uh, spring 2020 when we thought this film was going to come out to begin with over on Warp Factor, uh, including most recently uh, coming out. I think it was yesterday. Uh, my fuller review of No Time to Die, if you'd like to know my fuller thoughts on the film. And if you do enjoy Cold War spy thrillers, uh, my novel Our Man on the Hill is out now from Sea Lion Press, and you can get it on Kindle over on Amazon. That is awesome, my friend. That is really, really awesome. And, you know, we always have you up to talk Doctor Who also on Earth Station Who, which is always great. Always a pleasure. Yes, it is. And, of course, last but definitely not least, Miss Ashley Pauls. You knocked it out of the ballpark again, my dear. Oh, well, thank you, as always. Anything uh, you want to shout out about? Let's see. Well, I don't have anything personal to promote, but I do want to give a shout out to um, two new shows that I watched recently on Disney+. Plus. If you're looking for something that's fun for Halloween, but not too spooky, I really enjoyed the Muppets Haunted Mansion special and the Lego Star Wars uh, Terrifying Tales special. So if you're like me and love Halloween, but have a pretty weak stomach when it comes to scares, it's a good way to be festive while still being able to sleep at night so <laughs> well there goes my shout out because i was going to do the haunted mansion oh i'm sorry <laughs> so okay. i'll let you could talk more in depth about it if you want no nope, it's yeah. okay you, you said it all it's good it's good i have other stuff i could talk about it's good but thank you as always and of course your reviews could be found up on the eso website so definitely Thanks. check that out uh, and we'll see you in a couple weeks for, for dune. dune yes I'm finally another excited. movie that yeah it's like i feel out. like i've been waiting forever to see dune. <laughs> i know right Oh, I know. It's going to be interesting. All right. And Mr. Mike Gordon, we've made it through another one, my friend, and we didn't have to kill anyone. This is good. No, well, not yet. Uh, the, the, it's not over quite yet. But uh, as always, it's my pleasure, sir. Like, look, even if I don't like the movies, uh, as we've discussed many times on the show, I still love talking to everybody about it. So That is awesome. It doesn't take two kills, actually, to get your double O. So. It does. Yeah. yeah. So, well, I see two. Well, we have three there. guests, so we have one to spare. So yeah, great. exactly. You know, we'll leave Ashley out. It'll be okay. <laughs> we, need, we need her for Dune, the other two. <laughs> yeah, they need, exactly. Phew. <laughs> <laughs> so, awesome. Anything you want to shout out about, my friend? I do. Uh, this past weekend was uh, Monsterama slash SpyCon 2, uh, an event that uh, is held in Alpharetta, Georgia. And uh, I had the distinct pleasure of being uh, in charge of programming for SpyCon uh, aspect of it. Also participated in some panels in uh, a couple of the other tracks as well. Uh, one of those you'll hear next week, uh, I think. Um, and... Uh, um, uh, but I wanted to give everybody a big shout out, uh, especially Anthony Suzanne, who uh, entrusted me with uh, the programming of one of the rooms, as well as all my fellow panelists that helped participate and uh, everyone who attended any of our panels. Uh, I know we gave you prizes, but uh, I really appreciate you guys coming out. We bribed and, you to come to the show. It was yeah, awesome. basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, um, you know, this will probably be my, I was probably going to be my last event uh, for the year. So it was a great note to end my uh, my short but sweet con year. Uh, but I, I, you know, I hope to be back next year. It is, you know, no matter what happens in what capacity, um, uh, I I love supporting that show. I've always loved that show, whether it's Monsterama or SpyCon, you know, separately or together. 
uh, it, it's a fun show to do, and uh, I can't wait to go back next year. That is awesome. It was a great time. It really was. And it was great to see a ton of friends. We talked earlier when we were talking about the Monkey Show, how many people we saw that we knew at the show. But even at Monsterama, though, we saw even more. It's like, you know, all extended family. And it's it's fun because it's not the same folks a lot of times that we see at Dragon Con or South Carolina. And it's pretty neat to see and, you know, had some great discussions, you know, over the weekend. So it was nice. And you did an amazing job, sir. Thank you. Thank you. So it was awesome. My shout out since Ashley took my other one. And so um, Star Wars fans out there, if you ever get a chance on Disney Plus, there is something out there called Star Wars Visions. If you have not had a chance to see and it's amazing. It's Star Wars stories, but taken from a different point of view and more of an Asian theme in in more anime and it i was talking to a friend of mine and talking about the stories these almost seem like these were the basically the fairy tales and such that they told in the star wars universe and you know about the different jedis and the folks who you know and they had the one story about the uh twins who were birthed by the kyber crystals and it was it was just awesome you know there were some amazing stories i think there's only nine of them if i remember correctly and they're only like 10 15 minutes each and definitely worth checking out if you get a chance and the stories are wonderful and it's they're entertaining they're fun and each one is a different art style which made it even more cool to do and it's fun for star wars fans it's fun for anime fans or it's just cool just if you want to check some stuff out Definitely check out Star Wars Visions. Definitely worth it. And I've heard that already they're working on a second season of it, of course. Of course. You know, they want to get more of it out there. So definitely check that out. And speaking of checking things out, please join us again next week when we are going to give you a pre-recorded episode. Not a, pre- a repeat of an episode, but we actually, over this last weekend, Mike had mentioned that we were at Monsterama. And we actually recorded one of our panels for next week's show. We are going to be doing the 45th anniversary of Interview with a Vampire by Anne Rice. And we had a great crew to talk about it. It was Mike and I. And we had a great audience. We had some very good discussions about the characters, about the books. We touched on the movie. And it was, you know, it was just a lot of fun. And I can't believe that book is 45 years old already. So... (laughs) That'll be our next week's episode, but we definitely would love to hear from you guys, as always. Please write us feedback at earthstation1.com. And as we like to say at the beginning of the show, please give us five stars wherever you listen to the show. We would really appreciate it. And tell all your friends and neighbors, as we also like to say, because, you know, we can never have too many people listening to the show. (laughs) That's an understatement right there, folks. We definitely want people listening. But as we always like to say, thanks for listening to the Earth Station One podcast. We're powered by NSC. You can find that at them at nsclivetv.com. Remember, you could also find Earth Station One wherever fine podcasts are found, including now Amazon Music. Please subscribe and tell all your friends about us. On behalf of myself, Mike Faber, and of course, Mr. Mike Gordon, Ms. Ashley Pauls, 
Alan Porter and Matthew Kressel. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you here next time on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and please, go, folks, get vaccinated if you haven't yet. We want you all healthy. We want to keep you guys listening, and we want to be around for the next James Bond movie. We will see you all soon. Peace, and we are done. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping at the Tee Public store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.